I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole? Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 246 with Bill Klaus and Znor. Join the team as we pass the digital joint and discuss what's going on with Znor and B Bill on another Japanese sync heavy date. Welcome and well met once again. Gentlemen, I'm glad we could all make it. This is a very international situation. In Colorado, we got Chicago, we got Japan, and we got Vienna. Sounds like a UN meeting or uh, some kind of Federation of Planets thing. But uh, what we tend to do on these is talk about the episode's numerological reducted re uh, card resonance. In this case, 246 goes to 3, which is the Empress. I fully embrace life's rich fecundity. The Empress is everything is possible, allowing abundance into your life, tapping into the creative flow of the universe, starting something nurturing. Raphael, what angel do you have? So this time we got the angel number 60. It is the angel of intellectual reparation belonging to the archangels. This angel helps cure the ills of the spirit and facilitates freedom from persecution, influences fidelity and obedience. The affirmation goes, I honor my inner and outer limits. Qualities include separation, rectification, healing of mental illness, and reparation through awareness. Interesting. So I'm curious if you guys have any syncs up with the Empress card and that angel. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Any resonances for y'all? Uh, for me, the thing that struck out, that jumped out to me is respecting the inner and outer limits. Uh, certainly uh, a huge theme going on in our country and our world right now. Uh, but I think far as far as um, some of the some of the uh, pursuits that we all enjoy and share in uh, the company we keep is respecting the uh, inner limits, just how deep we go inside ourselves. There is a limit to how far that is. So um, I think a, a good empress in your life keeps you from going too far in the inner limits is, I guess, where I, my head goes. That's what's up, Znor. And I want you to uh, clarify why this is an important date, because I just looked up Hiroshima or something and it said June 1st so I'm like wait what is the date that I'm why is this a Japanese sink heavy day <laughs> remind me <laughs> yeah this is um uh you know just I'll just bring that up it's um it's the day that uh Hiroshima was bombed in uh 1945 on August the 6th um so there's there's two days it was bombed uh first in uh 
Hiroshima August the 6th, and then the second uh, was Nagasaki on August the 9th. Um, so this is a, this is a massive day in uh, Japan. Um, but it's also, uh, we were talking about that before, it's also kind of sinky because um, it's Terrence McKenna, when he was first working out his uh, time wave zero, um, he was looking at sort of anchoring points or uh, points of sort of maximal novelty in order to sort of, uh, like I said, anchor the, uh, the, the time wave. And so he came up with this date, the bombing of Hiroshima, um, the first atomic bombing ever in history, as that must be a point of huge novelty. And so he was able to sort of uh, jigger his time wave so it, it matches up with, uh, with that date. And, and he got that idea, apparently, this idea of this big bombing. Um, so according to his own recollection, he got that idea um, from the Ten Thunders of Finnegan's Wake. Um, so that's, anyways, that's sort of why it's significant for me. It's, it's a significant date um, outside of all the, uh, the Terrence McKenna, Finnegan's Wake weirdness, but uh, um, that just adds to it, I think. Well, the thread always continues. And I'm not sure. I guess I looked it up on Wikipedia and it was saying as of June 1st, the population was XYZ. I just saw that and assumed it was the date. But yes, you know history clearly of the area in probably better than I do. Um, hey, quick question. Yeah. What do you think was a more destructive event? Uh, the bombing of Hiroshima or 9-11? Well, um, I wouldn't in, say in, Hiroshima, but... <laughs> I, don't even think there, I don't even think there's an argument. There's not even a debate. I mean, if you're going to try to say we live in apocalyptic times i don't think you can draw a big enough circle around hiroshima and say it happened that's where it, 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 it that's where it happened right um and i think that just to piggyback off as of nor with the the mckenna time wave if you think of the way that that sort of spirals in on itself i think the two uh planes hitting the two towers really mirrors the two different bombs dropped uh hiroshima and nagasaki right uh, that that echoes uh, throughout time. And so uh, it's funny that that happens 11 years before 2012, which is one sunspot cycle, which is a dominant uh, cog in the machinery of the time wave. But um, I was just mentioning sun cycles about Grant Morrison and his uh, observation of kind of cultural uh, yin-yanging. It's like, oh, punk cocaine rock like ecstasy nirvana like or whatever they were uh, he was positing um i mean i can't speak for all 9-11 affected me very deeply clearly i wasn't in the time space continuum at that point as far as i know in 1945 but uh yeah i'd never thought about like the kind of it doesn't look like a mushroom cloud really in a way but the whole dust cloud very uh similar and the two planes doing two bombs in a weird way it's almost like um it's like different levels of initiatory trauma. Um, but I think just the whole concept of shifting people's atoms and, you know, obliterating something is a little, it's just, it has more of a, um, existential weight on it. I mean, it's not good that 9-11 happened, but even the whole, like, you know, is it just a smash and grab for fucking gold? And the, the whole thing is a little more postmodern and not lighter, but just less dense in terms of just like, 
it's somehow more understandable, <laughs> I guess. Whereas with the bomb, it's like, holy shit, that's like, isn't that theoretically how like Grays became aware of us? And so they're like, okay, now we got to start talking to y'all or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, you guys could talk. Uh, Znor, Raphael, what are your thoughts well, on this question? So one question I have, of course, the differentiation would be between the material destruction and the potential for trauma created. And I'm not sure if one really is less, is worse off than the other in terms of potential for trauma creation or how that, how the trauma was milked, let's say. In both cases, with both disasters, let's say, or occurrences, there are great questions. Not even going into 9-11 now, but even rather the question, which is not completely answered to me yet, whether at that time it was even technologically possible to have such a kind of a bomb miniaturized and weaponized to that degree that it could even be dropped off from a plane. I don't understand enough about physics and, you know, these atomic bomb sciences, let's say, to be able to determine that. But I've heard these questions asked, which would, if true, of course, raise many, many other questions as to whether maybe something was detonated locally or also even just last show we mentioned you see at least on some of these nuclear uh, explanation videos, let's say, and at least in some of those, it totally looks like, you know, stick figures, you know, and uh, how should I say? Uh, like a scenery, basically, literally made out of stick figures, and that's what they show you as an example. Look, the nuclear bomb is so destructive, and then you see these stick figure houses and so on being blown away, and it's like, wow, this is really badly done. So I can't even say how I would evaluate whatever happened there exactly. Also with the whole radioactivity and so on, there's infinite questions. But in terms of which one is worse, I'm not sure if I could would be able to determine that. Especially I don't even know if it's appropriate to compare trauma like that uh, somewhere. Um, well, just think about it uh, in a certain media landscape, how the dropping of the bomb echoed globally. I mean, everyone had to have some understanding that a country has a super weapon that can destroy a whole city. A whole city. Like, yeah. we take that for granted, that the power of what happened. Um, what would that take about, oh, I don't know, how many planes would it take to destroy a city? <laughs> many, many more. Yeah. Um, but you... what I'm saying is, is that 9-11 uh, was a global event. Everyone knew, knew who had the worst day uh, on the planet that day. And it was traumatic just to hear about, to see the bodies, to see uh, the human carnage. Um, just imagining uh, people being trapped on the planes, people trapped on the tower. Everyone can relate to that kind of trauma. Um, I, I guess where I'm saying is that the effect of the atomic bomb, what effect did it have on the Japanese people? Look at their culture. And has our culture, are we becoming, are we exhibiting the same cultural shifts that the Japanese have displayed? Are we having less children? Are we having smaller families? Are there more people living alone? I think we are seeing those exact same uh, characteristics that you would normally associate with Japanese metropolitan life. Um, I, I think that there has to be some consideration for the trigger of that shift to, um, to that inner limits that we were talking about. People are way lost in the inner limits of their minds, I think. One yeah, great difference, interesting, yeah. which is very briefly, superficially, the one thing that comes to mind in terms of great difference would only be that the reaction of the Japanese, at least officially in terms of militarily, in all the animes, you know, they say they only now have the Japanese defense force, at least officially, 
and America, it more seems they went the other way to go all out and be everywhere after that kind of a crisis. Yeah, I was going to say the other big thing about it was um, after the two atomic blasts, and this is also following the, uh, the, the firebombing as well of a bunch of different cities, including Tokyo, which um, some people say did even more damage, right? But this led to the surrender of the Japanese. And the, the significant, the most significant thing was the emperor coming on to public radio and declaring that he was no longer a god, yeah? And so this is a death of God um, incident, which is which is mind blowing in itself. Like it, so you you think of the West, and the West had this sort of gradual um, period of of the death of God. Like Nietzsche came out and said it in uh, Zarathustra, but it's not it's not the same same announcement on the radio <laughs> that that from 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 the God, from the former God himself, saying no, it's not true. I'm not a God. You know. Um, so you can imagine the impact of that. Uh, that's fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like um, yeah. that's like the president coming on and saying um, aliens exist. Yeah, it's it's like um, instant nihilism in a way, you know. Like, yeah, this, it destroys a whole environment. Like, like not only did like, the city get blown apart, but their psychic environment just completely dissolved. Yeah, you, your whole foundation of of life, the ideological, spiritual foundation of everything is, is gone in an instant. Um, uh, which, like I said, in the West, there's sort of a gradual um, movement towards that, you know, but uh, in Japan that happened all at once, which um, arguably they might be better prepared for because they also had a, have a background in Buddhism, right? Which um, um, Did they just retreat back into Buddhism? What filled that void? It probably like the the uh, like the emphasis on emptiness, you know that the that it, it's all empty anyways, right? So, um, so God, that's the void, crushing. The void, the void was never there to be filled anyways. It's just a, it's just the realization that the void exists, you know, like a like not even the realization. It's 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 like the uh, the remembering. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a void and everything is empty. Yeah, but I think the yeah. heart carries on and connects to that like intellectually you can say oh the emperor is not god that environment never existed in the first place i don't i can forget that and walk away from it but you still have to walk away from something that that nothing was a something that i don't know um yeah you see that in japanese culture it's it's western um... celebrity i think replaced that if the emperor was god then you would have a respect for a human uh, figure as the top of the chain. But now that that's gone, you have BTS, right? You have Western style boy bands now uh, from Japan uh, filling that void, I think. Yeah, it's it's a big thing to remember in Japan. Uh, I think people kind of forget this sometimes is that uh, Japan was fully Westernized at the beginning of the, uh, the 20th century. Like all the all the crazy art movements, all the avant-garde art movements that happened in Europe and happened in North America, they were also happening in Japan. Um, like the anarchist movement was big in Japan. It was, it was, it was, it's, it's similar to now. So it's not as if... Um, I, sometimes people have this, this idea that Japan is imitating the West, but that's not, that's not really true. It's, Japan has evolved in the, in, the, in the same sort of time frame as, as the Western avant-garde. So all that stuff was in the past already. Um, 
by the time that came out and then and then the American occupation began. Uh, it's funny, Zanor, because I hear in the background, I think it's cicadas or something, and it reminds me exactly of in Neon Evangelion. I don't know, Raphael, if you caught that sound. Yeah, yeah sure, the sound effect yeah, is was just like, about perfect, you know. It, well, they use it a lot in animes. And uh, imagine how I felt when I was in Japan, like 2007 or something, uh, standing at the train station and literally hearing this super loud and just having watched Neon Genesis a few years ago, and I was like, oh my god, where's the angel attacking? <laughs> and yeah, it's funny... Is... Oh, go ahead, Snor. Uh, no, just about that sound, like uh, especially at uh, sunrise, like the sun rises these days from, I don't know, like a uh, quarter to five in the morning or something. And that's when everything comes on full blast, like all the cicadas and all the all the different types of cicadas and all these uh, these droning weird bugs that make this kind of kind of kind of kind of kind of noise and all the birds come on. <laughs> it, it's it's amazing. Every morning it's, it's just like, uh, uh, yeah, it's the best time of year for that. So what's up? I don't know. I don't think it was Oppenheimer, but it might have been someone like that saying when they made or dropped the bomb detonated, it's like, I'm destroyer of worlds, which kind of ties into like destroying gods and stuff by using another god deity, <laughs> like quoting another deity. Interesting little resonance there, but um, it feels like, uh, how would I put it? Um, The Japanese, uh, I had always been under more of the assumption that they were not mimicking, but that they were sharply molded after the loss of that, of their emperor, empress card here, but like the loss of their security and, um, identity in a way I'd always just presumed like, you know, basically we went in and rebuilt and it's like, all right, industrial capitalism, in a, in a 1980s esque, you know, Sony thing going on. Uh, I didn't really know much about their political, uh, and art scenes, so I'm glad you kind of told me about that. Yeah, there was it was, it was a big thing. Um, was it like 1905 in Japan, where there was this, the Russian Japanese War, and so the Russians are the big uh, European imperial power, and they're fighting against the Japanese, who are from the Western perspective, they just this sort of Asian whatever, you know, like the, the, there's not much respect for uh, Asian cultures at that time because uh, there, there have been imperialist powers all throughout Asia for um, centuries at that point, right? But then at that, in that year, uh, Japan beat Russia and it was a massive, uh, it was a massive shock to Europe um, that, that an Asian power, this sort of upstart Asian power could beat the Russians, like uh, this established um, European colonial power. Um, so that that really show, showed how far Japan had gone along that, that route, you know, that they were... Uh, t and that's sort of how they consider themselves in a certain way. They definitely did at that time, and I think a lot of people still do, is uh, they're not so much Asian as, as European in a, in a certain way. And one other thing that came to mind, and we don't have to keep on talking about, you know, the bombs in Japan and stuff, but... Uh... Uh, Land of the Rising Sun, you were saying, I mean, I was in Australia, I, so at one point I knew that the sunrise was very early, like you're saying, and it doesn't, I mean, I guess the first person to ha be bombed by a, a thousand suns is the Land of the Rising Sun, which is this rising mushroom cloud, a kind of brightness. It's an interesting uh, date. I, I have seen, um, well, I guess it's like uh, Graveyard of the Fireflies or something like that. Pretty heavy movie depicting the situation uh, at that time. Um, and in a lot of ways, 
uh, we were talking about this earlier, and I mean, I just had a mushroom trip last night, so I'm kind of in the space still a little. But I'm how always... much did you take? Oh, not much, just one point five grams. I got a guy chocolate guy who dropped off two point five and one point five chocolates, and I was like, well, I haven't done this in a while. Popped it. It was actually more. I, I much prefer LSD at this point. Uh, it's way more clear and just kind of controllable, maybe for lack of a better term. <laughs> But it lasts so long. <laughs> I love that. It's like, all right, Tom, let's go into the albums. We're going to listen to the Beatles or whatever, you know, all the Beatles, uh, all of Daft Punk. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was interesting. But something we've been talking about on, uh, earlier with somebody who was um, raised in a very liberal uh, Eugene, Oregon kind of scene, very pro-gay, uh, pro-trans, and then has had an identity shift where he was kind of getting canceled for trying to like just be kind of centered about that. Like he's still bisexual, but he's not like hyper boy. Anyway, uh, the point I'm getting at that was like, uh, it's very easy to intellectually kind of spout off from a stoic Buddhist perspective or whatever, where it's like everything is, you know, we ask for these lessons, right? Or whatever. So it's like, um, the karma that we're living through and dealing with is not just random and chaotic. I'm wondering what your guys' perspective in terms of um, the causal necessity of dropping the bombs was. Because for a long time, I was, as an American, I'm like, they were going to fucking attack us with forks. So it's, in my mind, I was just like, this is going to be a perpetual thing. But it seems a little extreme, ultimately. Um, but it happened. And it also, I mean, in a way, it, it opened up a new era I mean, economically and everything. Um, I'm kind of rambling, but I'm just kind of curious what you guys think in terms of, um, I mean, it's a heavy question, the causal necessity. Like, not that did they deserve it. It's not quite like that because in a, in a sense, America, from a very, you know, Islamic perspective and other perspectives was like getting checked for being hyper-liberal or something like that. It's like the, the you know, the American horror thing was the whole defense of the, Bin Laden argument, even though he's a CIA dude, whatever, we can go down those rabbit holes if you want. But the idea here is like America deserved that. And in a sense, one could see it as a uh, turning point, I guess, in maybe how we processed our place in the world and um, freedoms and stuff like that. There's a lot to it. Anyway, anything you guys want to say about that? And we don't have to dwell on this, the whole episode, obviously. And I'm kind of curious what the uh, 10 thunders are, if you can remind us, Znor. Um, yeah, uh, well, the Ten F- Thunders in um, Finnegan's Wake are um, just ten words, and they're each each of them are words of a hundred letters. Um, so there uh, there are nine of those with a hundred hundred letter words, and then the tenth one has a hundred and one uh, letters, and then they, they just periodically appear all throughout uh, Finnegan's Wake. And they're associated with um, the change of a cycle or something. Um, the change of a cycle, and the cycle could be uh, whatever cycle. It could be like a uh, cycle in the day or a cycle in the month or a cycle in the year or even like bigger processional cycles or whatever. But they're also, because the whole Finnegan's Wake is a, uh, is a dream, it's potentially that the dreamer, whoever that is in Finnegan's Wake, is dreaming and he hears thunder in the background that's coming into seeping into his dream inception but, uh, style it's like oh shit but we'll McLuhan, level down but i hear it <laughs> McLuhan had uh, an interesting take on the 10 thunders where he thought that they indicated a uh, sort of technological progression of the media um which maybe bill wants to get into well yeah i mean it's like <laughs> 
it's like the growing pains of technology opening up the newest sphere, right? Uh, cyberspace. It's uh, any intelligent life form that graduates to tools eventually will unlock these huge shifts in media, right? And these media change our sense ratios. They change what it means to be human. So that thunder represents that, that chaos when humans are undergoing um, intellectual uh, shaping by something that they created, you know, uh, much like how a baby people say, Oh, I, I didn't know who I was until I had my child and my child centered me, right. The, the, the extension of themselves outside their body changes their whole being and their whole perception of life. Um, so these thunders happen like, and so like when man discovered fire, that's thunder. Think about if you controlled fire, I mean, lots of chaos. And as this media and the extension of man, uh, continues, you go, you know, radio, was huge. Telephone was huge. TV was huge. Um, but this 101st thunder, there's a subtle, uh, I think a subtle pun in there. And if you have 100, you have a, uh, a chemical code, right? Of three molecules. And it would be HO2, Right, the line being H and the zeros being O, so you have two O's, so H O two. But the hundred and one letter thunder word is H two O, water. So the final thunder brings the water. Uh, finally, the rain finally emerges out of that hundred and one, and that's really the the understanding of what you're reading in Finnegan's Wake. It's um, it it seems like a lot of liberty to make that leap, but to me, it just seems as as true as anything else in that book. Um, I was say, you're, you're, you got license on that text. I have, st- I have a copy. I haven't read it still. I don't know if Raphael ever has, but the Nick Wick is I have not. A, ver- a very open to interpretation kind of text. So I'm just looking at those particular words, and I was kind of, I was wondering, I was like, oh, what kind of English word could have a hundred letters? But it's more like, ba, 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 dal, yeah, I'm not going to continue, but... It's like an onomatopoeia <laughs> book. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. what are those... This is, nope. Those well, real quick. Those hundred word, those hundred letter words resemble the skyscrapers, right? What's the point of having a building a hundred floors high? It seems like it's it makes sense, but it's really just a result of a change in human functioning. It's the, it, that is a uh, an extension or a byproduct of one of those thunders. So, and and uh, the first thunder starts on page three, and then by the next page, uh, by the end of that page, they're talking about skyscrapers falling down <laughs> you know so, and 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 hump, humpty dumpty falling off the wall and empires ending and and everything else so you can you can you can really tell where terence mckenna gets his ideas um from in terms of the the sort of fractal nature of uh time wave zero right um but the other thing the other thing with the fun the thunders is uh the work of uh gian battista vico right and so vico um Vico was a philosopher, and he had this sort of unique idea of time where um, time runs in cycles of four. And so you have um, the age of gods, and then the age of heroes, and then the age of humans, and then there's this uh, recorso period, which is a period of uh, flipping back to the beginning again, right? Like sort of this uh, um, gap at the end, um, mini-apocalypse kind of thing. Um, And so... He believed, Vico believed that at the beginning, in the age of 
the divine age, um, how we learned, how humans learned to have um, language originally was through thunder. And so they believed that this blast of thunder in the sky was God or the gods trying to communicate with us. And then we as humans tried to imitate these sounds that we heard um, through the thunder. Um, so Joyce is playing with that idea and in, in using these ten thunders to represent the turning of these ages. Um, and then he structures his whole book according to Vico's four ages. So you have like a you have 17 um, chapters, I guess, in Finnegan's Wake, and they're broken down into four different parts, four parts, four, four parts of four chapters, basically. And then you have the return in the 17th chapter, and it goes back to the, back to the beginning. So uh, I know you guys are both into Twin Peaks, and you just said the return, which has the bomb scene in the return of Twin Peaks. And I don't know, Raphael, I don't think you've seen the original or the return, but in the in the 25 year later sequel, which actually was kind of alluded to, it's like, we'll be back in 25 years. And then they actually did it kind of thing. Like, so it's temporally accurate in terms of production, I guess, and release. Um, there's an episode that's actually very artistically done uh, in terms of cinematography with uh, basically ground zero of Hiroshima. Or, or maybe it was uh, White Sands or whatever, but it was like nuclear bombs. It wasn't Hiroshima. I think it was just like the test. And that, and I think Lynch's estimation is kind of one, an epoch ended. It's like the innocence ended in rock and roll as that little frog thing coming out through the radio and all that shit. So um, I know Raphael has, nowhere, has no clue what I'm talking about, but do you guys have any comments about how I, but between Lynch and the return and anything like the bomb and all that? We, uh, McLuhan once said something about the light bulb. He said that uh, to the light bulb manufacturers, you sell pure information. And it, it takes a little while to <clears throat> grasp what he's saying is that what is information? It sheds light on an unknown subject, right? And the light bulb will, works for anybody. It has no prejudices. It's pure information. It's not political. It's just a product that no one really can argue or get upset about because uh, the purity of it. Uh, I think the atomic bomb is pure media in the sense that it is the ultimate extension of the human being. Um, it's the ability to make uh, a world disappear just by virtue of your desire or whatever your logical reasoning. Um, but it, the bomb itself is it's every newspaper, it's every propaganda film, it's every TV show, all wrapped into the explicit expression of what media does. Um, and so I think, especially if you've watched that four-hour uh, YouTube video where the guy breaks down um, Twin Peaks, The Return, um, which is I brilliant. Which I is, should uh, watch it. Is, Nora, you've seen that, right? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I haven't. It's like what's really on happening on Twin Peaks, guy. That video. It's four hours long. He talks like David Lynch. He's a little weird, but he. I think he just. If I think I, I did see what you're talking about, yeah. Because it wasn't just the return. It was like the whole thing. He's like, look, I'm going to tell you what's really going on, and it was a very Aquarian, exoteric vision of it, um, which I wanted to talk about. We've talked about it with Corey um, before, but. Um, because some people have very esoteric interpretations, you know, like the lodges mean this, or it's very esoteric high priestess kind of energy. Whereas this dude was like, 
he's talking about media through media, basically. Well, you know how I was talking earlier about the inner limits and the outer limits? Well, I think that there's this threshold in the inner limits where this guy nails um, the firmament between the carnival that is Twin Peaks, which is the hours and hours of randomly associated conversations that drop personal things, right? It's, it's the effect of uh, the art. But there's this firmament between everyone's imagination, collective imagination, and the, obje- the objective type of art that Lynch is making is that everything is structural and ar- architecturally correct in what he's producing because he doesn't censor any part of his vision. It's pure vision. It's pure architecture of David Lynch, right? Taking in his entire world. And I think that what Lynch's statement is, I I think that that guy nails it. I think he hits that fine line of where the inner limits uh, intersect and become solid again. And I guess, you know, that's the, that's the, the deep waters of conspiracy. There's everyone will say, look at these 20 conspiracies that turned out to be true. Okay, great. But look at the 20 million that didn't. Um, And those 20 million, uh, Theories that don't amount to anything is is across that firmament in the inner limits. Um, I think that's that's our big distraction right now is the that that fantasy land of the inner limits. Uh, sure, you can pluck a diamond out of there, but uh, you got to know what you're doing. Um, I guess I'm rambling there a little bit, but no, I don't give a shit. We're here to ramble. That's, yeah, that's a good point, Bill, because. Uh, it, yeah, with this with this coronavirus thing, um, the whole COVID, which regime. I'm over. I don't know about y'all, but I'm like fucking over this. <laughs> exactly. Like last year, I was over it, but now I'm just like <laughs> I don't even listen. I'm just like okay. But uh, yeah, people are making a big deal from the conspiracy side of. Um, I think it was. I, I can't remember the actual uh, name of this, but it was a scenario that um, I think the Rockefeller Foundation put out or something. It was called Events. Operation Lockdown or something. Operation Lockstep. Lockstep, yeah. And so, so people are saying, yeah, this is, a, uh, this is the foreshadowing of what, what was going to happen. They planned this ahead of time. But if you look at that document, which I did, it has that's just one of several scenarios that they, they thought could happen. You know, So they were... As as in the military, they're making contingencies for for everything, right? Um, so, yeah, just to sort of reiterate what Bill said, the fact that it ends up happening and people go back to this and say, "See, they planned it." Um, if anything had happened, we could go back to it and say, "See, they planned it." You know, it, it in in any uh, any possible uh, construction or reconstruction. Um, there are contingencies for it, you know? Well, it's um, like the I Ching. A hexagram exists for that. There's a meme for that. It's like... Motherfucker, a... you motherfucker. I was just about to say that this dovetails with uh, what I was writing about in my, some of my recent blog posts is this shift of the zeitgeist from the um, iconic uh, archetypes of the Tarot, which is that associative ocean beyond the firmament in the inner limits to this line of esoteric um, logic, the, the photographic um, uh, shading of I Ching. Uh, 
And I do believe that that's where our esoteric barometer is moving towards. Um, it's more mathematical. It's more photographic. It's, um, it, it is sort of, of Aquarius. A, I mean, that's kind of how it is. Is it? Okay. I mean, well, we're yeah, not there yet. Technically, whatever. I'm not as such a specific astrologer that I'm like that day, but it's like, we're going from, uh, <laughs> kind of superstitious, weird time. I mean, we'll say the age of Pisces was since Jesus or whatever. And maybe a little before then, that's the whole kind of point of the symbology at some level. Whatever we're going into is like AI friendly, CRISPR friendly, yeah. COVID jab friendly. I mean, alien friendly. Um, but yeah, when you're yeah. tech, techno, techno <laughs> yeah. world. And it's weird because that is just like I'm sure in Japan, people had to very much adapt, even though there's cultural, you know, murmurs of a sh- you know shifts. Whether it's Dutch coming in a few hundred years earlier or whatever there's a very decisive moment where it's like, we can't go back to Kansas anymore. <laughs> um, 9-11 is the same thing. After that, I mean, I, I was in high school when it happened, and I remember, I, obviously, everybody got very depressed and weirded out and stuff, um, but it, I quit smoking weed, actually. Right? I was I started smoking pot that summer in 2001, uh, between my eighth grade and freshman year, because I graduated in four, so it was 2000, 2001. Anyway, uh, that summer... I started smoking weed, so I was only high for, you know, a few months, and then 9-11 happened, and I don't need to push this on y'all, I don't care what you do with, you know, weed or not, but I was like, I, some thought was like, life is so precious, and I'm just sitting here getting stoned, and there's people jumping out of buildings, like, there was this, like, cognitive shift to, like, an awareness outside of my teenage, you know, self-absorption, or something like that, anyway, the point is, it seems like some of these shifts, these thunders really do, um, change the game up uh in a very dramatic way and i don't know why the uh, idea of the guy putting the fork in the return in the outlet and you know causing electric shock or just huge shifts came to mind but it just did anyway um i'm rambling but never apologize for rambling i just get self-aware of this mars and venus are in virgo right now so we might all be very like uh articulate in particular on how we're folding our napkins and shit but um Raphael, we've been talking a lot of jargon. I don't know if you have any thoughts because these are cultural icon or you know iconography and texts and stuff that I don't know if you're familiar with. Not to a sufficient degree, therefore I shall not comment. That's what's up. Though something that I haven't finished and is big is Attack on Titan, which I think also did that wrap up. Raphael? Can I just can I just bring oh, one feel, thing feel, back? Feel free. Yeah, uh, Raphael. So. At the beginning of our call, when we were talking about the bomb, you had uh, started off your statement by saying that, first of all, we have to establish if it even happened, correct? Which I've never no, questioned, I'll be not, honest. Not whether, whether something happened, although even here, I just, you know, I wasn't there. So, you know, I'm at the point where if I didn't witness it myself, I can never be 100% sure of whatever really happened. My main point of contention here just being, Number one, of course, the whole idea with the atomic bomb in itself, if it happened the way it supposedly did, is the perfect proof that conspiracies can be kept well hidden and then, you know, (laughs) be let loose on the population. The real question I'm having here is whether the way they explain that they delivered that payload and the type of payload is exactly what they purported to be. Okay, so Raphael, Raphael, sorry. If you were to be able to find out the truth of that, what would change? 
yes, the, the main the main point of contention here actually being what type of destructive capacities really are available and which have been used and how. Because, for example, here we would have the issue of radiation and so on. And as far as I understand, people there are living and not everyone is incredibly deformed. So there is a few questions in terms of fear and health uh, where this would be a relevant consideration, what actually is being used and what type of destruction and also lasting effect really occurs. And if yes, how it can properly be remedied. See, I just think right now with what where we're at and what cyberspace is asking of us is to say, okay, there's a very good possibility that the information surrounding these events is not what we think it is. Right. But right now, is that what we should be using this moment to figure out? Is that the best use of our time and the advantages that we currently have with the freedom of cyberspace? I mean, it's not guaranteed forever. Um, so I, I just think that we have to have a, a more of a, a foot in the moment. We, there isn't, I didn't think, any, any value in uncovering that aspect of it. I think it's, it's I don't know. It, it, it wouldn't change anything, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I would say it would, and why? Because the whole question of the nuclear actual capacity, so number one, what weapons actually exist, what kind of destruction do they really cause? Again, would number one point to potential remedy, and number two also, especially speaking of radiation and so on, there's all kinds of strange things going on there, because at the very least one could say the mere threat of saying that all the world powers have a nuclear arsenal and could destroy each other at a moment's notice, you know, someone crazy hitting the red button, as far as I understand, held populations in fear for decades. And uh, if that technology is actually not as advanced as they claim, for example, not being possible to be sent far with a rocket just like that, or as at least some disclosure projects revealed, several generals and so on witnessing that nuclear arsenal simply getting turned off by whatever unknown flying object. Therefore, the real capacity for a full-out nuclear war potentially not even existing in the way it is presented. Which I means policies would be different. All right, some, okay. Yeah, so this yeah, got yeah, me back to my thought. This got me back to my thought. Uh, you know how people talk about the theory of everything? That's one of the holy grails in quantum physics, in the physics field in general. My accurate with that kind of statement yeah there should be one unifying equation that makes the elegance of it all make sense or whatever. yeah perfect okay read the sheet so, music there it is now here's the funny thing about the theory of everything because the that posits that there's one singularity it's a, it's true for everybody everyone would have to adopt that theory right that's the whole point of it but the the fact of the matter is is that the conspiracy theory of everything that we developed on our own they're basically identical to a theory of everything. You know what I'm saying? The real thing, if it exists, the theory of everything would be objective and we'd be talking about it now as an object. But we kind of live in our own individual conspiracy theories of everything. And it's so um, tempting because it's identical to the theory of everything. Um, 
And I right, think I that, what you're saying. yeah, so there's a firmament between the actual thing, the theory of everything and our conspiracy theories of everything. And I think for me, it's a very PKD exercise is to think of what would be the worst conspiracy theory of everything and then say, well, that can't be it because I couldn't know what the real one is. And then you can transcend it. So my conspiracy theory of everything involving the nuclear bomb is this, is that Nazi Germany uh, had developed this technology and um, they knew that they couldn't control the planet in the way that they wanted to if they had the nuclear bomb, if they used the nuclear bomb. So the whole end of World War II, I think this is my conspiracy theory of everything. Uh, Germans obviously didn't lose the 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 main brain trust, the main people escaped out. Like Hydra, they went under. And America was a shadow country for the Nazis. They used the technology to make America bomb Japan, which Japan knew they were going to do. And then they used the nuclear technology as that stopgap to run the world and change it into this one world order, singularity, TV, cyberspace thing, right? So that's my conspiracy theory of everything. I can look at that and say, and obviously I didn't do a, as good a job of explaining it as I can do in my head, you know, when I'm daydreaming. But uh, I can say, okay, that can be true. But what could I do about that? I don't think I could do a damn thing about it. And then I just transcend it and I move on. And I um, think, okay. um, No, I was just going to say like, uh, back to the wake again. I'm just talking about it so much because I'm reading it again. Um, But we've got to remember that. Why am I not surprised? It's it's good though. The atomic bomb happens in Finnegan's Wake, right? It happens on the, uh, on the in the third chapter of the second book in Finnegan's Wake, and there's an actual atomic bomb blast. Um, this guy Buckley shoots the Russian general, and that leads to, at the stroke of midnight, this atomic blast. And it's called, he, uh, and this, this blows people away about Joyce, because, of course, he, he, he only published this in 1939, and the, the, the bomb didn't, nobody knew about the bomb publicly until 1945, right? Um, But he talks about this right in the book. So he says, the abnihilation of the atom, which is a pun, it's a a pun phrase, so it means the annihilation of the atom, which is the atomic bomb, but it's also the abnihilation of the atom, and the atom is the word, like etymology, and then abnihil means from nothing. So, So you have, at the same time, the destruction of everything, destruction, the, the annihilation of the atom, and then the word coming from nothing, right? And which is, which is biblical, you know? The, uh, so at the same time, creation and destruction happening simultaneously. Um, so I, in terms of conspiracy theory, that, that's the biggest thing I, I can think of, you know? Um, and so, it's funny because yeah. you were saying that, like the uh, destruction and creation, I mean, the Emperor's card, it's like to have a baby, which I'm not saying the Empress Carter has to have a baby, but it seems fecundity implies fertility and exercising that ability. Um, it's, you know, the placenta is, a, is how to put it, the mother is dying in a way, giving life to the baby. And then when the baby, you know, leaves, it's like, okay, I'm on my own. Um, one real quick thing I'll say, and I'll shut the fuck up because I didn't mean to interrupt you, uh, Zanora. I'm good at that, Jim. My life. Uh, what your theory? What you were talking about, Bill, with the theories, uh, conspiracy theories, filling in the gaps epistemologically. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Kintsugi, right? Uh, this Japanese golden art filament. Or you know, it's like you yeah, got a crack pot, you fill it with the gold. Huzzah! Now it's a beautiful, like, ornate memory of 
imperfection or whatever they're philosophically going for with that. Um, it seems everybody's kind of filling in the gaps um, with, with their epistemological gaps. And that's just, uh, that's not even a conspiracy theorist issue. That's a human issue. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, the gap between Adam and God, we've got to fucking bridge that somehow when we try. Anyway, you guys can talk about whatever you want. Raphael, thoughts? Oh, I wanted to talk about the annihilation of the word, about what Znor was talking about there. In so, the end, the word was annihilated. <laughs> well, the word was annihilated, and, and the word also comes from nothing. Abnile means from nothing. So it, was, it arose from nothing. So The pregnant nothing edited itself. So think about this. <laughs> In the wake, what is Joyce doing? He's annihilating words and doing recombinant DNA, right? He's fusing words that have correspondences to make new words but yet they're words that don't exist. So in the wake, the words do get annihilated. But then how do we associate Nogi Soki and the bomb in Finnegan's Wake when it was written in 1939? And the, Those, that's in the same chapter. That's the, uh, that part about Nogi Soki. And on the same page, it says there's a mush with a mushroom on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So think about that. He destroys the words. So those words had no meaning to anybody in 1939. They drop a bomb over Nagasaki. Now, all of a sudden, those words all of a sudden are born out of nothing in the pages of Finnegan's Wake. I mean, it's a magical text. It's, it does everything as advertised. I don't, it just takes 20 years to really, you know, accept. It's a grail quest. And some it's a motherfucker. Just, yeah, I haven't even started on it. Like, Every, everything, everything is in it. Uh, um, Twitter is in it. Um, uh, hip hop is in it. Um, memes are in it. You know, you can find everything. <laughs> Quarks. Quarks. Yeah. It reminds um, me. I'm binging Deep Space Nine right now. I've been on a Star Trek kick for a minute, and uh, there's this one episode which is very surrealist. You know, kind of PKD David Lynch stuffs. I think it's like Far Beyond the Stars is what it's called or something. But basically, it's like, you know, they're on the station, they're in space, and the, and basically. Cisco, the uh, the captain, um, starts having these weird flashes between a synaptic. The doctor's even like his neural pathways are fucked up, uh, but he's flashing back to 1950s, right around the same time, um, San Francisco. And basically, he's a writer and um, like in a pulp fiction comic book group or whatever. And they're kind of like, here's an image, ab nihilo, right? Here's an image. No words create a story. And so one picture is like this, you know, big breasted woman with a mantid being. And it's like some guys like, I'll write th about that. And then Deep Space Nine, like an image of the actual colony or whatever the fuck it is, space station. Uh, and Cisco, his character back in the past or whatever, America's, you know, because they're in 2200 or whatever the fuck it is, 23rd century. And um, he's like, I'll write about that. But he doesn't know why. And even later on, he's in a psycho psychic cell, like writing on the walls. And it's like the story, writing the story, basically. It's like, who's telling from, are we a character of the story of his imagination? Uh, not we, us, but like the Deep Space Nine people. It's like, are we inhabiting the imagination? I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it sounds uh, like maybe there's some kind of high watermark in a form of technology that maybe was right around when Finnegan's Wake happened where it's like, this is about as fast as horse and buggy is going to go or whatever. And it's like, right after this, we're going to go to engines, but this is like the peak of horse and buggy action. And not to say we're past written word. I don't think we are, but it's definitely shifted 
uh, even with emojis and stuff, it's almost hieroglyphic now and all this uh, slang. But anyway, I'm rambling. Um, well, no, because it's perfect. Everything you're saying is what we're talking about. Um, what we're discussing here is uh, the ability for media to change the sense ratios in human beings. And if you change the sense ratios of enough human beings, you can mobilize a country like Nazi Germany, or you can mobilize a country like the United States or Japan, right? <clears throat> it's all about using the media to get the populace or the public to be in line, to be in lockstep, as we were talking about. You know, everyone has to wear the mask. You have like to watch, the, I mean, you have to the, watch the right media to get the right science so you can get it. Oh, I need a vaccine and a mask so I can be in lockstep. This is, this is where your sense ratios have to be. You have to be thinking, I get it. My moral compass is in a certain place. My heart goes, I'm scared, but I'm going to do this for the good of other people. It's that kind of feeling that will carry me over my fear. We don't have that shit in this country anymore. Um, but they're trying these tricks to try to mold those sense ratios back. You know what I mean? Um, fuck. Where was I going with this? Um, just if you, if you can remember, but uh, I just want to riff off that idea. Yeah. So, so you have uh, Nazi Germany, um, the rise of the Nazis, um, basically using the radio uh, to great effect. And then early film also, right? Uh, trying for the will and so on, right? And so you have this this rise of this totalitarian power. But if you look at the lockstep now, what's happening now is that, um, like you're saying, uh, everybody needs a mask, everybody needs social distancing, everybody needs the vaccine, and, and that's all done through television. It's still, television is, is still such a huge influence, but also through social media, especially for, for, for younger people. It's like a, that that is the main driving um, force in getting people to go out and get shot you know like a um so it's it's interesting that this technology the internet which like 20 years ago maybe or more we had such high hopes for is now being used um to police us on the micro level right and police ourselves so you have people like uh like if you don't have the shot like people will come and and your, your friends your family will will bug you through social media telling you to get it you know like um, it's just an it's it's an interesting use of this um, this technology. Like um, I definitely didn't foresee it being such a t totalitarian. Uh, um, well, I, I, I had I had I had high hopes for it. Right? I, I saw it. As it's a, not over yet, baby. Yeah, they haven't unplugged it yet. <laughs> well, Znor, Znor, uh, do you mind if I uh, bring up Finnegan's Wake real quick? <laughs> No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, another thing that's in the wake is television. In uh, a book that was released in 1939. Uh, Joyce knew about television because Hitler had developed the television and brought them into the villages of Germany to broadcast the Olympics. And so Which Joyce... Is happening right now in Japan. Right? So <laughs> Joyce knew that this t television would have this thunderous power over changing the sense ratios of of people. One of the things about that is that Joyce in the wake is challenging you to find the right sense ratios to be able to enjoy the book. You know what I mean? It's there to be laughed at and be, and it should be, it should provide these thrills to you throughout the years that you can never expect. Right. But it takes a certain kind of sense ratio. The best example is the magic eye. You know, there are people who cannot see the 3d image in the magic eye. 
I can't. Because those are print heads. Those are print heads. These are people who see in front of the image. They can't relax their eyes to see the image beyond the image, right? It's a sensual, perceptual thing that is because of print, right? And what we're talking about in the wake is he destroys print by destroying the word. You have to look at the word. You have to say the word. You have to play with the word to understand what exactly what it means. You can't use that other mode that you were using to read a regular book. You know what I'm saying? So like, okay. So I go to movie theaters and listen to albums, right? This is news to Raphael, but we should just give him some context. So Raphael, Phil goes to theaters and literally creates synchronicity because he listens to albums and hits play and doesn't even listen to the fucking film <laughs> just for the record. So he's here's committed, a, man. Here's Good a stuff. perfect example of uh, how Joyce infects your life. This is a true story. I haven't been to the theater in what a year and a half or some shit like that. Uh, I'm looking for a movie to sync something to, and I see a quiet place too, and it's triggering something in my subconscious. I can't figure it out. And I finally realize I'm thinking of a warm place, which is the Empress cards bosom. <laughs> All right. Oh, what um, song? That's a song by an artist on an album. I don't know. It sounds nine inch nails, the downward spiral. Okay. All right. So I see how long that album is. It's 65 minutes, right? Uh, A Quiet Place 2 is 97 minutes. As I'm reading about Downward Spiral, I read that he recorded the EP Broken and Downward Spiral in the Tate House, right? I was about to mention that. We had uh, Timothy Leary's assistant on the podcast who was in the house (coughs) adjacent to the Tate House when that was being recorded. Okay. So I go, if the Broken EP is 32 minutes long, so 65 plus 32 would be 97 minutes, the exact length of A Quiet Place 2. I go, if the EP is 32 minutes long, then I have to go get high and watch this in the theater, right? Thus so, said the Lord. So the EP is, of course, 31 minutes and 15 seconds. So we go to the theater. Uh, eat a 50 milligram edible, put in my headphones, movie starts. Press play once it opens up to the street. You see a placard that says uh, day one, Okay. The first thing that Trent Reznor sings is, this is the first day. All right, so you know you're locked in from the beginning, all right? Long story short, it blows me away. It's a perfect 100%, like, one I got to write a blog about. You know what I mean? It's that good. It's, you got to see it to believe it. I go back, like, a couple days later to see it. It's a late show, and I tell the people three rows behind me, I go, I'm going to be listening to music on my headphones. If it gets too loud... Just tap on my shoulder and I'll turn it down. 30 minutes in the movie, he taps on my shoulder. No problem, dude. You know, avoid that. All right. See it twice. Firmly convinced this is like perfect. Write the blog about it. Movie comes out streaming. I pay the $19.99 for it. I go, do I really want to watch this a third time? Like, I get it. I was like, fuck it. I'll do it one more time. I'll watch it in black and white. Right. So I reduce the color of my TV. Take the third hit, as McKenna would say. (laughs) Take the third hit. Right. Third view is the charm. So put it in black and white. Do the sync. Fucking when you watch the warm place into um, a racer, it's one of the greatest cinematic things you'll ever see in your fucking life. So I'm blown away and I go, you got to give me a sign that this they, that they did this on purpose. You got to give me a sign that they did this on purpose. It's too fucking good. It's too fucking good. And I'm watching the credits roll and I'm watching the credits roll. And then I see something that says N.I.N. Williams. Nine Inch Nails, 
Williams. There's a stunt guy named Joe Nin Williams. Now, you could tell that to somebody and they can go, oh, that's weird. Or, oh, you fucker, you knew that name was in there. That's why you thought of Nine Inch Nails. Or, big deal. But the experience of saying, show me a, an explicit sign in print that is as explicit as what this music and image proves to me that it was done on purpose. And then you get that. It, it's, you know, that's lightning. That's fucking magic. Can you that's show ma receipts, it's though? manifestation. Now, there's still 10% of me that thinks like you got, but that, here's the missing part of this. You can go watch this. You can go ahead now and watch what I thought was 100% done on purpose. And you might leave after that 97 minutes agreeing with me. And you might think for a second, fuck, did they, did they know that he would like your mind goes places in this shit. But that's where the true imagination lives. That's what Joyce is trying to get you to in Finnegan's Wake. See reality like you look at the wake. And you will start seeing things that you just... It's hard to even explain to people that's real. You know what I mean? It's so ethereal. Um, yeah, yeah and, then, and then that goes into the entire nature of reality, right? Like, and that stuff happens not all the time. If it happened all the time, we'd get used to it and it wouldn't be a big deal um so the fact that it only happens occasionally is what makes it so striking right but it does happen occasionally and and so what does that mean you know what does that mean what does that say about reality and it uh it it, it really starts it it really starts to resemble a dream you know like it it's it resembles in the same way when you're dreaming you come up with uh all these different meanings and connections um that shouldn't be there and when that's that stuff starts to happen, these synchronicities start to happen in your life. It's like it just it knocks the wind out of any sort of materialist viewpoint of things, you know. And so, and if that's the case, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for for all of you reality? guys? Are way more like, initiated by the high mind or whatever than you think. I, whenever I hear stories like that, because I think the profundity of synchronistic experiences and resonance and stuff is really hard to articulate. It's easier with group of people who are kind of on the wave, but um, I guess in a weird way, it's, I mean, this isn't to deflate it, but it's like, I think it is always happening. And for some reason we've fallen into ignorance, kind of like Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain. And it's like, we have forgotten that it's all one thing just churning on itself. Even in the, um, the return, uh, when it, I mean, it's not exact, but like the transcendental meditative kind of ocean of oneness that's happening um, in that uh, not alternate universe, but whatever's going on with the fish tank and do you uh, do you float like sensory deprivation? Yeah, I have yet to do that. Get the I, what do you what? Why not? I'm in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, without a car and working five days a week and just Bill, I've been. I've been floating in the Pacific and it's basically the same thing, you know, so I've, I've been in a sensory deprivation tank before, but it's, it's in the middle of the ocean. It's the same, well, not in the middle of the ocean, but right, right in the water, it's, it's the same thing. You, you know, you just float up and uh, your ears are sort of bobbing up and down out of the surface. And so that's, uh, and then you just close your eyes and let your, your body float. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing. I've been hitting the flotation tanks and the Samadhi tank, you know, just classic uh, pitch black, uh, but 
because it's so amazing. Like there's this veil that has dissolved that people younger don't, well, no, most people respect it, but like the fact that pot's legal and I can go downtown and buy pot in downtown and then go to the floaty tank and eat an edible and it's not a big deal. I'm not committing a crime. You know what I mean? Like that's a huge Hashtag psychic veil. progress. Well, it's just a huge psychic veil that if you never wanted to eat edibles at the floaty tank, but were too paranoid because you didn't know if you'd freak out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are real fucking landmines you can step on when you fucking do shit like this. But anyways, I'm just like, I, I, I went last time for two hours and I never wanted to like, when it ended, I was a little bit sad. It was, it was lucid dreaming on a water. It was, it was, I, I, and I've been doing it for 25 years off and on, you know what I mean? But I just have advanced with my relationship with the plant and the environment and myself and everything. And it's just, I hope you get a chance to fucking hit that shit because it's, uh, I'd almost it, rather it, do it on acid. Quite it's frankly. like a salvia. It's like the salvia flash. If instead of I've never, I'm one of the people who can't react to salvia. It seems it's in where a salvia flash takes you to, like you know Han Solo in Empire when he's in that fucking carbon freeze. You know what I mean? Um, this I've heard takes the tale. you breaking through on flotation for me is like a salvia flash, but it's, you know, like a cloud of titties or candy, cotton candy, or like almost like heroin. It's just an ocean of bliss. Um, it's like floating in space and you, you cannot sense that there's any water or that you're on your back. I mean, you just become one with infinite bliss and it's, is it pot driven? Sure. I don't give a fuck, you know? You go to the Super Bowl, you drink a 12-pack, and it's that's transcendent, too. But uh, it's just amazing that that's completely legal and available. It's uh, – got to get on that shit. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not a – I just had a – I mean, I had COVID or what I thought was COVID in March for two weeks. That's like shit. And then I applied to music school uh, in Denver, CU Denver, and I got right on. to – Right on. Nice. I may or may not go. I don't know. I'm working. I keep postponing it. But the point is – You got to like, go. Oh, Maybe I don't want to be in Denver. I'm in the middle of nowhere, and it's like nice. Did you want to be in music school? I don't know if I need to. That's another topic. But it, I mean, it's like, is it going to actually? You you wouldn't have to live right in Denver. There's a lot of nice places right around there. It's about connections, dude. You want to be in a place with like-minded people so you can make connections. That's, That's it. True. That's true. I'm sucking away the money here, so I'm I'm stoked on this. I'll probably be here until today. Anyway, but the point, I guess, I was getting it. What was I even talking about? Jesus Christ, I forgot. Oh, we yeah, just we just dadded up on you. Yeah, yeah. I, was like, Hold <laughs> on. I feel like I just got like uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I drank some booze, which I hadn't done, and then I was lit enough. I wasn't like drunk, but I was like half a bottle of wine deep kind of thing, and I was like, I'm gonna get weed. So I got weed. Point is, I smoked weed for like three months. I'm not even against it. That's what I kind of was saying. Raphael's smoking right now. You got you're ripping it. Um, I think it's great in a weird way. Uh, having not tripped for a year and then doing acid recently in mushrooms, it feels like there's just graduations of media and these are, these are calibrators of sensory experience and it doesn't demean what weed is. Cause I think as you're saying, there's keys to ascension or whatever through this. Um, but in some weird way, my karma with the thing at the moment is such that I can't responsibly use. Like, I'm just like, I just disappear. It's, it's weird. The intensity of tripping is such that I respect it. And I'm like, I can't function if I trip all the time. So I've got to like make it more sacramental. Whereas weed is like, 
Whoever said just... you should trip all the time? What the fuck? <laughs> no, and I used to trip once a week for, I mean, that's how I got into SyncBook when I was on acid once a week. Oh, for how long did you do that? I mean, I've done that for a month or two at times. Yeah. But my yeah. God, just talk about the, keeping the aperture open and the afterglow. That's why I got into astrology, SyncBook, a whole lot of stuff. I mean, even Raphael, I met him when I was on acid. He and he was reading a DMT report and hit me up while I was tripping, and I'm like, "Oh my god, what the fuck?" So acid to me seems like the next stage of the mushroom. I don't even last night like well, I ate the chocolate. And it wasn't like insane, but I was like, "All right, I'm gonna do some chakra tune up. Twenty minutes. It's like, all right, I'm still coming up. I'm not feeling anything yet." And I listened to Heinrich Gorecki. He has this symphony number no. three thing that sounds like, you know, <laughs> life starting from nothing and Empress card shooting up to humanity as this fever pitch of nuclear bomb is like the height of what we can do technologically or whatever. It just crescendos in a crazy way. And, and uh, it was a beautiful, interesting trip. But uh, at the same time, I felt like this sounds so weird. I'm like, I must, I mean, I don't even believe this, what I'm about to say. It was like, I'm a star child. The frequencies on acid are much higher in a weird way. Uh, and, whatever mushrooms are is like a very primitive organic thing. Um, and I'm not even against it, but like if I have a choice now I'm just rambling about drug preferences, uh, acid is the way to go for me. And luckily I have these like 400 microgram hits that I'm just like, I'll take half of that every now and then. And I'm set. But, um, Jim, I was, I was noticing on Facebook, I don't know if you want to get into this at all, but, uh, I'll it, go to it, 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 it seemed like you went through a kind of, dark night a little while ago or something oh right? yeah like, uh, no i've been like right after COVID. i mean it's been a hard year let's all be real <laughs> it's yeah, been yeah, a hard yeah. like decade like i i think i'm in north um i mean i'm a son of moon gemini and i think i was just naively distracted like a child wandering in a movie kind of thing enough where i was like never how do i put it um life is very ecclesiastical it's very buddhist and zen where it's like it is meaningless but make meaning within the illusion or whatever it's like that and I, I was kind of just at this point where I'm like, um, it was hard, uh, largely because of like just ups and downs in my relationship with my fiance. We're still together, but at the time it was like very difficult. Um, but we got through that. So, but, but even that, I mean, I've, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, you learn, uh, in a weird way, I wasn't always, uh, how would I put it? I think people thought I was in a worse place than I was just because I was quoting things that were maybe heavy or dark. And I was just like, that's a cool song lyric. I heard it, you know, it was like sinky shit where it's like, I just heard that and I'm going to correlate it. And maybe people thought it was way worse, but there was definitely, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we weren't doing podcasts for very much, you know, March, April, May, because I was like stoned immaculate on hash working my ass off at this job as a barista, just empathically absorbing all this stress and dealing with all the stresses of COVID and economy shifts and do i go to school like what what is security and in a weird way uh and i had taken a year off like G uh, july 25th is the mind day at a time this zero point kind of reset uh in the dream spell calendar um and that was the last time i tripped on acid so i did it again and i listened to tears for fears songs from the big chair and i'm just i want to get them on the podcast if i get like you guys realize how chemical that album is it's like the most like i sometimes i wonder if people are even aware of the levers they're pulling in the machine i mean sometimes they're just like channeling and they're being artistic and it's a fun time but it's like uh you're building pyramids do you realize this <laughs> oh ouch that was my shin um Anyway, yeah, I wasn't a weird funk, but I'm kind of over it now. Thanks to you said something interesting. Uh, you said, "What is security?" 
Do you have a definition of security now? Oh, well, no. I mean, for example, I'm on food stamps, but I've got this job and I've saved almost 10 grand. And I'm just like, I've never had, I mean, having a hundred bucks was a big deal or, you know, a thousand was a major deal for a long time. So not that I'm rich, but it's like, oh, I have liquidity. Do I want to uproot myself here and try to jump into the maelstrom of civic society? You know, it's like city life. Denver, although I don't have to be downtown by any means, um, is a pretty sprawly place right now. And I just don't want to deal with the when when COVID popped, I was in LA and I was very much aware of the psychic climate shifting, you know, going to the store and having people like, like the shelves are empty and people like murmuring the word apocalypse and shit like that. It's like heavy shit. And I'm sensitive enough where I don't really need that shit. So part of me wants to keep Walden ponding this shit up here, but there's at the same time, it's, um, I mean, it's an interesting embryonic, moment for me because i'm learning gratitude in seasons of life i mean joseph was stuck in a fucking prison cell for what 15 years in the bible story it's like at year seven he was probably like fuck this shit i feel like kind of there where i'm like i'm over this but i i'm trusting the universe in a sudden way to lead me forward in a way that makes sense for where i am emotionally and economically in my maturity um i don't my tendency is to like cool i got a lot of money i'm gonna run to europe for a while cool i got a lot of money i gotta go to australia and it's like Usually what happens is I'm like, oh, cool, I'm partying, and now I'm drinking, and now I'm in a rut. Oh, my God, i got to go to counseling and co, and I'm sober, and it's like this kind of bipolar loopic thing. Hopefully uh, kind of over that at this point. I'll say one thing about uh, psychedelics uh, in your gravitation towards LSD, um, which I think is the most cerebral of the uh, – Oh, it's the well, most I, mental. I would, yeah. yeah, I would say that to me there's four pillars, right? Uh, and in the center is alcohol – uh, and anything that makes you black out, you know what I mean? Uh, or numb to consciousness. So there's the four psychedelic pillars, which uh, LSD was my first introduction, then mushrooms, which I thought those were the only two, right? Uh, I count um, weed as one of the pillars because that can be just as psychedelic as anything if you do hash, right? And then the fourth, which I thought was MDMA or some shit like that, no, that's probably... That's either in the man-made with LSD or that's in that fifth column with alcohol. Uh, the fourth one is mescaline, cactus. And it's much like the mushroom. It's, it's, it's more body. It's more, you have to deal with the condition of your body as much as the condition of your brain. You know what I mean? That's or, why last night was so uncomfortable. I was like, shit, my spinal health is way off. As opposed like, to just like, wow, Daft Punk. <laughs> LSD will are, are, give you in touch you... with, yeah, go for it. No, no, just a quick question. Um, so, so you're talking about mescaline. Um, do you see any difference between synthetic mescaline and, and peyote? Because I definitely notice a, like a huge difference, almost like a similar, similar difference of, of acid and mushrooms maybe. you know. Um, My peak experience with cactus, and this would be either through powder, um, powdered San Pedro, or uh, this one at Bridgesy. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. I would get some people would send me cuttings through the mail and you chop it up and then you reduce it to a tar. Um, and you roll it into balls because it's the most vile thing you ever taste in your life. But my breakthrough experience with it was once at Lollapalooza, uh, which was just insane. Very mathematical. Mescaline is very mathematical. Do you feel like that? Uh, Zanor? Yeah. Um, I, I've had I've had synthetic mescaline. The, the first time I took synthetic mescaline, we watched um, uh, 
The Shining, and that was <laughs> blew me away. But I, with that, but why? With, with yeah, I don't know. With that, with that, uh, definitely kind of that like crisp kind of mathematical geometrical thing, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, Indian yeah. Thing. But then I, I was in Mexico. I was hitchhiking around in Mexico, and I went to a place called Real de Catorce, and uh, you're able to pick the actual peyote buttons out of the desert, you know? And then so I was eating them out in the desert, and that was Jesus. a totally different thing. I ended up. Uh, I ended up climbing up this tree and there's a little pond underneath it and all these sheep came and were at this pond watering hole. <laughs> and I, I was up there singing, uh, singing the birds turn, turn, turn while all these <laughs> like Ecclesiastes, you know, like, <laughs> uh, so that time to sit above the sheep as they drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's, uh, yeah, again, it's, 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 it's a different experience, um, slightly. I've never done peyote or mescaline, so you, I'm listening with wide ears because some kid just came through the other day, Mike Triz, actually, uh, Raphael, who's been on the podcast a few times. He's in Denver, and he's all about mushroom legalization and stuff, and he came up, and he was like, I'm going – either he knows somebody up in literally the valley I'm in or somebody, he's like, I'm going to do peyote. Do you want to do it? I'm like, I got work. Like I've, I've heard it's like the – like it's masculine energy. Like you're saying it's mental math-y kind of stuff, um, whereas ayahuasca, which I've still yet to do and I need to do, uh, is more kind of feminine and – probably less mathy and more just like but, but if you look at the actual uh this is the thing with the actual plants the actual peyote buttons they just in that part of the desert it's like everything has thorns everything is pokey has thorns because it's protecting itself except for the peyote button and peyote button just looks beautiful it's it's these little segments it's like pie segments that sort of swirl into the center which is this bulb of uh grayish greenish um beauty they're they're beautiful sometimes there's a flower right in the center of them um and uh you just sort of dig those up um try to be careful not to take up the whole root so it grows again um and then uh and then they do taste terrible but not not too bad like i I didn't have any sensation of nausea or anything else when i did it that shit Um, lasts a while right i mean that's not like a short trip i've that's one of reluctance okay go ahead Last for a while, like yeah, exactly. What I thought that trip was not—it's it, completely unlike uh, even acid or mushrooms or something. I just felt that this is reality. This is how my senses should be acting all the time. So it's absolute clarity. That's that's how I felt. Exactly, about, you know? exactly. Like, um, like I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't hallucinating or seeing anything. It was just like uh, just my my hearing, my sight, my my sense of touch, and my smelling. It, everything is just enhanced you know um it's a place that i would get to when i would do those 10-day fasts um with a master cleanse with a lemon juice and a maple syrup cayenne pepper and you just drink that for fucking 10 days uh you would have these moments where all your senses were in tune and in balance and the whole universe would just be radiant and flowing into you and uh yeah cactus brought me to that exact same place and it was like i could eat like it's a, it was the only psychedelic where I'd want to eat or drink on it because I just like I normally would, but I would just want to experience um, it in its full potential. You know what I mean? Whereas mushrooms, I don't want food. I don't want to ingest anything. Acid, I'm not thinking about food. You know what I mean? But this was just balance and clarity and mathematical precision. And it was. Um, yes. Whew. And then I would lay on my back in this park. And, you know, that sense where you feel like you're almost laying on a skyscraper, like the land goes forever in all directions. And it's, 
and it's just you and then the sky and it's the sky goes on like a infinite piece of graph it's just yeah it's it that, it's almost that, subtle at that first. was a Yes, there's exactly you're describing exactly what I what I felt too, like especially with the sky and the horizon. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. It seems these are too, I mean I'm I'm looking I'm not like psychonaut hardcore right now. I'm more like oh, I will do this responsibly, surprisingly. Um but it seems like what you were saying with Marshall McLuhan, the apertures of perception being shifted. I mean that isn't that it seems like that's the why of these things. Um, they are little monoliths that if you touch them, <laughs> you will see the machine a little differently or the dream a little differently. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you guys, I mean, sensory deprivation tank sober might be similar, but is there anything, uh, my fiance is a Virgo, so I'm only asking from this kind of perspective, but is there, is there anything you do sans psychedelic that even approximates these kind of realms of perception? Long walks. Yeah, walk, yeah. walk for 15 miles through uh, residential, through city, and just eventually you'll just let go. And with the phones, you can just say, beam me up, Scotty. You can just go in one direction and then get a $20 Uber home. I mean, it's fucking genius. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the only way to go. Music, long walks, you know, just you and your thoughts, picking up. That's something I find shit. music is like a tethering point for me. Cause if I don't have it, I was kind of walking around and chilling out without music. And I don't know about y'all, but it's like, I get way too, I mean, I do have Mars and Mercury conjunct in 12th house opposite Neptune. So it's like, I can get very distracted and disappear very quickly into whatever's going on. Um, whereas the music becomes the object. It's almost the temple in which the space is holding. Um, well, well, it's acoustic space. You're bubbling yourself into an environment. And that's like your, what's that like new agey, like Merkaba, you know what I mean? That you travel in and shit. It's, that's what it is. Fucking A. It's like a mantra, but you don't have to say it. Someone says it for you. But I would encourage you to do like a six hour walk and just leave the, leave the headphones at home and you'll find, you'll get there. Like you'll break that thing that makes you wedded to the earbuds. You know what I mean? And you will. Trust me, it's there. It's like when I was telling you this way. It's like when I was telling you about the movie, uh, the whole story I said about Joe Nin Williams and and a quiet place and Nine Inch Nails and shit. People will hear that story and go, "I get it, and I see what that means." But who's going to actually watch the fucking movie? Who's going to take the ninety-seven minutes? Because the story is, you don't have the whole story because you haven't watched the fucking film. You know what I mean? And um. That's really the, that's the failure of the chaos magic era is that people don't know how to put in work anymore. I don't, I don't think uh, they don't know how the instant gratification thing is, is destroying it has its downsides. <laughs> it's destroying a lot of balance right now. Um, Cause like, I just, I, I, I write about these things I don't tell you what I see and I don't clip videos of it, but you're just telling you there's fucking a gold mine in, because what I'll say this, I think that the movie album sync, it make it forces your mind to go to that place where you were talking about the picture with no words or like a Rorschach test. It, 
the album movies say puts your forces you to use that natural part of your mind that you used to have as a kid and allows you to see your environment from an an ordered sense ratio. You break that print, that black and white iron prison of print. You know what I mean? So you can see that magic eye 3D image uh, that's all around you. And I, but, but I just don't. It, people just they leapfrog lazy around. Lazy or afraid? It's sheer yeah. laziness to the motivators. The other thing I've been doing um, more and more these days. Um, I did, I've, I've been doing this for years and years, but it, these days kind of intentionally is, is just doing um, um, what Kerouac called sketching. Um, it's, it's a type of poetry that he kind of identified himself. And it's just like uh, anywhere, anywhere you find yourself, inside, outside, um, sketch the environment and your, um, your interaction with the environment, uh, physical interaction and mental in- interaction with your environment, sketch it out in poetry, in, in lines, it's in like free a sonar verse. ping, but and instead it, of images, you get words. Yeah, and so you just you, you end up just um, writing anything, like what you see, the slant of light coming through your window, um, any sort of the grain and, and wood. Um, I'm just looking around my room, like the computer screen, light coming off of that, whatever you want, and, and, uh, and write it down, and you, you will get into a, a psychedelic space just... Um, focusing on that stuff you know uh, reminds me of in waking life the holy moment or whatever where it's like if you really kind of just let things be what they are um our interpretive lens is actually I mean, we're all very let's put it this way like uh paris or haystacks look a certain way but because of the perceptual filter that is a um absinthe addict you know mentally ill man in van gogh or whatever uh we get this kind of take on it um in a, in a sense this is part of the privilege of being human it's like we're the high priest i mean the emperor's card is kind of this aesthetically driven thing it sees the beauty in things in all things at all levels and i think we actually have a birthright to that but for some reason like i got this psychic reading once so i don't really do psychic readings and uh it's one of the reasons actually that i asked to propose to my wife because they're like your divine counterparts you do this every lifetime oh my god that girl you were sleeping with in Australia was your daughter in a past life. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> or whatever. It's like, oh my God. Uh, but they were like, your third eye slammed shut. We don't know why. And it's ironic to me because my Facebook picture, somebody gifted that to me and it's got like a th- my, you know, a third eye or whatever. And I'm puking rainbows. I think it's just fucking hilarious. Um, but it's, you know, the doors of perception. Once you kind of cleanse it and see things as they are, we all become these poet philosopher kings. And in a weird way, that's why we're here to like breathe deep and drink deep the experience. And then if we can and how we can, this gets into astrology and proclivities and gifts and, you know, all this stuff, um, reconstitute it through our senses. And then that's what art is, right? It's like, Oh my gosh, thank you for letting me see that. Um, yeah, it's just a weird time. Uh, creativity is we're so close to i think a, um, a jump in what it means to be human but we're part of us are scrambling on to like naturalism which is understandable you know a lot of people like Raphael, for example i don't really want to just like plug up to the ethernet in my mind but we're at these places where domains are starting to collapse and the only way we can even really properly document what's happening is through like what you're saying sketching uh whether it is through poetry or art or whatever it's like 
I think that's why social media is such a big thing because people get little vignettes into reality tunnels that they wouldn't normally get. Like, you know, the news or whatever in 1945 was like, you know, whatever reels before the movies. Oh my gosh, the, the Nazis do this. It's like a very, there were very few windows into the Dow. And now because of the internet, we have potentially an infinite number of windows, which can become, I mean, could be problematic. Anyway. Well, Burrow is always, Burrow, yeah, go for it, Jannar. Uh, yeah, yes. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, Bill's mentioned a couple times about the ratio of the census um, coming through Finnegan's Wake and then in McLuhan. But if we trace that idea back, they are getting it explicitly, that idea from, from William Blake and, and, and from his poetry and his, his sort of poetic vision, right? And so the idea of, of Blake is that we've got to reach this point of synesthesia, all the time, right? And um, so Blake goes back to Milton. Milton is describing the senses of angels. And he said, Milton is saying that uh, um, the angels, in the same way that we have the ability with our skin to touch anything along the, the, the entire surface of our body, entire surface of our body and our skin has nerve endings so we can touch things with, with any part of our body. But with the angels, um, it's not only touch, it's also um, vision and hearing and smelling and tasting and everything all at once uh, at, at every part of our body. And so Blake thought that's the, that's what, when he's talking about opening the senses, that's what he means, um, getting to that point. So, and that involves an active course in training your imagination, right? So being able to see, um, the prosaic sun, which which gets defined as just like it looks like a golden disk in the sky, and we don't even think about it too much. But Blake said, "I can see the hallelujah chorus of the angels, you know, hallelujah choir of the angels. That's what the sun is, right? And that's double vision. But he talks about uh, triple vision, quadruple vision, fourfold vision, um, and and what that is, it, who knows, right? But uh, um, that's the sort of progression that 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 we need to take with the senses of opening the senses. Um, I love how like four eyes would be a slur, but if you were really hip on William Blake, you'd be like, yeah, I'm a four eyes. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is all about uh, Mark LeClaire's tensor with Coop. The, uh, what LeClaire was trying to explain, what I think he was trying to explain is that uh, the arrangement of the three films of Stanley Kubrick and the three albums, Three, the three films of Kubrick and the three albums of Pink Floyd, uh, when paired together, you watch them nine times through. Uh, that's the only way you can really see what Kubrick was trying to communicate. You'd have to look at it from all those different angles. Also including watching the original films as they were, the albums as they were. But that would be the physical training. He called it the physical tensor, right? That's, the, that's what kind of dedication you would have to have to really appreciate what Stanley Kubrick is all about. It would be like reading Finnegan's Wake three times, right? Or reading Beelzebub's Tales to His Godson three times, you know? Um, it's that hyper-dimensional vision, you know, where you, the dark room and you, the one person puts their hand on the tail of the elephant, the other on the trunk. Um, it's that whole um, Abram Malin working, right? 18 months where you have to dedicate yourself to one thing for 18 months of chastity and sobriety and dedication to this motherfucker. You can't uh, download it all and binge it in one day. You know, these what? things take cycles of the moon and, and movements of the stars for them to really set in. And uh, yeah. I think Le Leclerc, that's 
what he was trying to explain. Um, but it's just too much work to actually do it. Um, it gets well, weird. To those there. who hear the clarion call, clearly you guys commit to art, to facts of culture <laughs> that heavily. I mean, I'm like too a, flighty personally, but I'm like, the, I can huff the clarion call. Like, Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. The Leclarian call. <laughs> but it, no, you asked me before, like I'm reading uh, Finnegan's Wake for the third time. And, and Bill, you asked me what you can't imagine what that's like. But it, it's like, do you know, um, Bill, do you remember reading um, Coincidence by Robert Anton Wilson? Yeah, of course. And, yeah. he's, and uh, so he talks about the, um, the E in Finnegan's Wake, which is HCE. It's, the, uh, it's Joyce's own glyph or hieroglyph for uh, that character, HCE. And uh, so Wilson points out that this is actually just one part of this fourfold entity which is the E placed in different ways, right? So you have the normal E and then the backwards E and the upside down E and then the prongs up E. And together they make this this kind of thing that looks like this giant uh, plus sign or something. And he described it as the E um, represents the ego. And then um, I, think the, I think the next one is the mountain one with the prongs down. That's sort of the, uh, the Freudian subconscious and then the next stage is the Jungian unconscious, like the collective unconscious. And then the next thing, um, Robert Anton Wilson was was clear to say that in, in, in Western thought, um, we don't even talk about this fourth thing so much. And it's the sort of non-local consciousness that you get. Um, but what happens in Finnegan's Wake, it's this fourfold vision where you see all of this at once. Um, Earlier, which, Bill, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Which one? No, no, that, that's it. That's it. Bill was going to say something about William S. Burroughs, I think, like 10 minutes ago, but we started talking about other shit. So I didn't know if you remembered what you were going to say. Probably well, not. It's okay. Bur- well, Bur- Burroughs always said that all writing is done in the past. All writing is trying to catch up to the present moment, right? Once it's written, like, so there's this gap between all written words and written language and the present moment. It, he says it doesn't exist in the present moment. So therefore, how can we call it something human? This, so this is this virus. This is this alien virus that has taken control of us. And really what the virus is, is the Gutenberg galaxy, which hijacked our sense ratios, which shuts us out from this sort of type of vision and type of um, uh, fourfold understanding of one's place in the universe. Um, it, it demands that you look straight through the ego. Uh, it's a rear projection. You look through the rear window of history and um, because you live in words, you live in stories and narratives that never exist in the present moment. But um, then, you have, then you have the, uh, in the beginning was the word, and we know what the word is. The word is, is logos or, or Christ, right? So, um, so there is a sense where words bind us, right? Or Gutenberg binds us, but... At the same, at the same time, it releases us. You know, it, it, it potentially it can release us. Um, well, it, it was an arc. It was uh, when the flood happened, when the, the the trauma became so great, and the penance of a life that you knew you would live fifty years and never see anything good in your life was that you could disappear into a book. It became uh, a respite for tortured minds. Uh, but in the process, it programmed them to live certain lives. They all of a sudden became 
protective of that space that they went to in the book into this fantasy world. And it started to change their dreams because their sense ratio started to shift and they started to notice other readers on the street and they started to make connections. And, and this is a profound, a profound thing. This is that thunder. It was thunderous in how the book and novels and reading clubs took off because these people who were suffering for so long had found this. It's like in Westworld when the Valley beyond opens, you know, um, but books in prison also, it leads to nationalism, it leads to industrialism, um, and it leads to conformity. And that's what history is. History is in printed ink. It's, that's the nightmare we're busting out of, um, all that, yeah. all, all that uh, he, Joyce does in, in the wake is he explodes the whole thing and then he throws it all back together like jigsaw puzzle pieces in a box. Uh, but but, the, but that's it. That's the thing. Also, is like once he's done that, right? <clears throat> you were talking about that before. Like, um, what's watching a movie like after you after you have the wake in your consciousness? And it's yeah. the same thing. What what happens? to other books after you've got the wake in your consciousness. And the answer is that they all turn into the wake, you know, like, a, so you're able to read every book in the same way, you know, um, it's a lens it's in, and it's and, either and, schizophrenia it's or it's, um, it, creativity. It's basically, it's basically true, right? Cause every word in every book, um, each word is derived from etymologies that, uh, are go back hundreds, thousands of years, and if you trace it back far enough, there's there's a deity always lurking behind the word, you know, like it is actually the voice of the thunder. Right. And that's in every book. Every book is it. it it's there if you uh, if, if you're open to it. Um, so uh, that's what. I, but there's yeah. but there are acrostics in the book. Right. There's uh, messages that are written vertically, diagonally backwards, um, which you don't you would never pick up on if you didn't think to look that way or to treat the object that you had in your it's hands. Like the magic way. eye. It's like, you're it, not going to see it if you can't see it. Yes. And it, it's, it's a recourse. it's like, you can look at it through the first person view of the ego. Then you same book, look through it through the Freudian and see all the sexual imagery in the book. Then you go through the union, right. And find all the Egyptian and the dream shit in the book. Then you go to the non-local. Like I opened the motherfucker up on acid once and I saw my bank statement in there. Like legit my name, all the money I had in the bank right there in the fucking letters on the page. I fucking closed it and I didn't open it for the rest of the fucking night. But I mean, like the non-local will pop out of this book, just like in the evil dead. It, it can rattle the fuck out of you. I remember I did one of the last times I did cactus. I said, I'm going out to see the green man. I'm going to see the green man out in the field. You know, uh, the puka, the, 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 the vegetable fairy. Yeah. So I go out, I don't see the fucking green man. I come back home and I put on some music and I look at the fucking wake and I pick it up and I twirl it around and flip through the pages and I open the motherfucking book and I see right there on the page, green man staring right at me on the random page I opened up in the wake. Yeah, and it happens. And it just... I'm surprised it, you're still a functioning member of society, uh, Bill, <laughs> with that kind of sick bombs happening on drugs, I wouldn't even know how to. I calculate. the um. <laughs> the well, last you, time you got to be a Catholic last... to to fucking see the humor in all this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The humor is essential. Like that, if uh, that's that's Robert Anton Wilson as well. He's saying this is the the funniest book and the sexiest book ever written. Um, but 
uh, the last time I was in London, I met a friend and we, we tripped. He gave me some acid. He said it was just a microdose, but I totally was tripping balls. <laughs> and we went, into the, we went into the tube and he had Finnegan's Wake and I just opened it at random. And it's the Delta page, you know, uh, Bill, where it's like, uh, it's, it's talking about Anna Livia and it's actually, you see the Delta, you, you see the pyramid. It starts mm-hmm. with O. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I opened that up and in the tube and then that thing started <laughs> rolling like a river across the page and off the page and the, and the whole tube, the whole subway was becoming like that. And I, well, I almost freaked out. I had to, I, it was almost a panic attack that I had, <laughs> I had to close it. <laughs> but it, that kind of stuff happens. But, but, um, but the other thing that I'm saying is like, uh, um, yeah, post-wake, um, you pick up any book and that, kind of stuff can happen you know um and that's the and that's the realization of it and i i think um that's what happened there's a choice created i don't know if it, it's him like it came through him maybe and not only him but he created uh the transmutation of print you know so print after that point post wake is no longer print in the same way it's a, it's a different media um a different medium so uh there's propaganda, and then there's the wake. <laughs> but but after the wake, even propaganda becomes the wake, you know? <laughs> so what um, is your guys' no, theory on I... literacy? Like, obviously, Bill, you're a teacher. Zanora, you're well-read. You're a teacher. It's like, uh, you're both well-read. What, given that you think that print is a limiting factor and, like, it cognitively shoves you in certain corners, what, like, what is your kind of philosophy on literacy and stuff like that in terms of like should we be reading <laughs> like well, we're no, trapped it, by it now but no i say that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to say is like we've got to this kind of post-literate point where it's become all electronic um and so McLuhan would always talk about the anti-environment and how necessary the anti-environment was to just to get a sense of the environmental environment we <laughs> what I say? the the media environment that we exist within right so so uh um the anti-environment is absolutely necessary it's, it's sort of the mirror of of what's going on like prison so, makes so, you appreciate freedom kind of thing yeah yeah you, so you need a space outside of things to look at to look at it and and so how do you how do you get that now when when it's electronic media everywhere right and so that is what print allows now. So you, you turn off all the devices, all the machines, and you get into a book, and that it becomes an anti-environment. So it goes beyond print, you know? Like, we're no longer at the, uh, the pre-electronic stage of print, where it does sort of create this sort of schizophrenic mindset, you know? Um, catatonic or a schizophrenic mindset. Um, but we've gotten beyond that now, and... Uh, you're you're able to look at books holistically and and see, I I just see books as this intertextual landscape, you know, like where all books are completely connected to to each other. Um, so every time I go into a book, it's like I'm I'm exploring one part of the landscape. Um, Do you feel that you've bitten from the apple and you can't edit undo the perceptual shift? I mean, I guess what I'm asking with literacy, like in some way we tend to look at our ancestors and stuff like a golden era of like, Oh, it meant, you know, guys on mushrooms running around naked was like the way humans should be. And look at how far we've come. Or, you know, some people are kind of like that way. Um, do you, do you guys pine for a non-literate state? Uh, or are you glad that you, you know, is it like, 
almost like big you know in 1984 it's like you love big brother now the tool you actually love the tool it helps you you come to conclusions through it all that um well, i'm not against it. literacy but it's like this gets into like even whether it's psychedelic literacy like people choose to trip or not or binge these nine by nine album film things like that takes a certain level of patience why because it is making you literate at a certain level anyway go ahead that's a good distinction like uh with uh 1984 right like so so the language in 1984 is newspeak right and so the whole purpose of newspeak is to reduce the amount of words for people to express their thoughts and feelings and 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 it's like whatever. slogans like, memes like literary yeah, memes so, th so they the, the whole purpose of the 1984 state oceania was was to reduce our vocabulary reduce our scope of things and that is completely the opposite of what um what's happening in finnegan's wake finnegan's wake um expands vocabulary and expands our expressive potential out to the infinite um and so that's what i'm saying so after that point um where you you realize that that is the potential of language then anything can become that any any um like derrida said uh the world can be read as a text but he's coming from a, a post wakean point of view too and he he means by that that uh this kind of uh holographic psychedelic text that's everywhere you know um so it's it's way beyond our original um uh the gutenberg um sense of of print um so I don't even know if, if, if McLuhan talks about this, but actually his grand, grandson, Andrew McLuhan, is, is saying something similar, like that, that, uh, that print now acts as an anti-environment. 100% um, agree. What was once the launching pad of the atomic, you know, whatever, the nuke of the era, like the printed word that launched people into Piscean daydream worlds is now the safe place, the empress's bosom. Uh, it's interesting how that all works. Uh, it'll be funny to see, like, because, I mean, I don't fuck with VR. Ten years ago, we didn't even really have smartphones. You know, so it's like, it, where this is going, how quickly it's going, it's going to be interesting to see, like, uh, what human zoos and, like, different cultures are going to be capable of. You know, what happens when you get Rastafarians plugged into AI? What happens? You know, it's like, what's going to happen here? It's, it's kind of infinite potential. But I do think um, there's a trepidation, kind of like going to school. On the first day of school, you're like, I don't know where this is going. I'm excited, but like this could go horribly right and wrong simultaneously <laughs> or whatever. It's like, Oh my God, I could get beat up, but I also could meet my girlfriend. And it's like, Holy shit. The potential's real at this point. Um, but it does feel like we've shifted into a, a record um, groove or something post 2012. In my opinion, I mean, you guys were hip before 2012, I'm sure, but you can see that we're all kind of, eating the peyote button together right now it seems and we're all just like whoa here we go uh well, coming up is very disorienting <laughs> well what we're doing is we're discovering that there is a limit to um the social media sphere like cyberspace is infinite but what people think cyberspace is you know an ego-driven attachment to social media 160 um, character tweet or mu that music, kind of stuff. you know music yeah. private environments uh camera uh selfies uh, you know, shit like that, watching TV on it. It's just this big uh, bottle that people like they suck their thumb with. You know what I mean? But cyberspace is infinite. But the limits of that space are, are starting to crash and, and it's starting to mutate into such bizarre 
strands that people are going to start to reject it and start to realize that we have to use cyberspace for the power that it is. So you were talking about more Big intelligently. Who, who mentioned Big Brother? I mentioned it, but I haven't even. Okay, it's been so a while. Big Big Brother would so who he's the Big Brother who's younger than the Big Brother. So this is your Horace the Elder and Horace the Younger, right? So Horace the Elder had cyberspace, and we got this big, huge, uh, unconscious, perverse nightmare that we've just been witnessing uh, over the internet of human uh, trauma and human confusion and shit, right? But the, the new generation, Horace the Younger, is going to use cyberspace for their, own, for their own methods, right? And uh, that's where my hope lies in, is that uh, things like Facebook, Twitter, all that shit, those will be gone. They'll just, they'll wither away like Playboy Magazine did, and like 60 Minutes will, you know what I mean? They're just, it's going like to just... AOL did. <laughs> It's, uh, it, yeah, like AOL did. It's like in Westworld, right? There's the two internets, right, that are the um, mobile AI units that are fighting there. You have the blonde, Dolores, and then you have Maeve, right? And uh, the blonde is the older internet. It's like the SJW internet. And it goes into the city and it wants to destroy for, you know, moralistic and egocentric reasons, right? Maeve is the real internet, cyberspace. And she's a survivor as well. And and she knows that Dolores is going to die. There's nothing she can do. But it's like, go ahead, white girl, you know, do your thing. Um, but it's like we're going to lose an appendage on in, in, in cyberspace and it's going to float away like a body. And, it, and, and once that happens, it'll be like that mescaline clarity. People will be like, this is why we have cell phones. This is why we have Internet. My life is fucking great. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like the way I fucking look in the mirror. Like, that's the power of cyberspace. We just don't know how to tap into it yet. We're close, he, but we're just he, not We're there still yet. dealing with 20th here's century baggage, nuclear bomb Here's a baggage. question for, for, for you guys, both of you guys. Uh, I don't know what Rafael thinks about this, but I think both of you guys um, have described yourself as, as Christians before, like identify with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm... I'm I'm interested in what what's Protestant. He's Catholic. Uh, there's what, a schism. But what yeah, else? Me, me too. I was brought up Protestant, like Pentecostal. But uh, um, so, what's your experience now of reading the Bible? Like, how does the Bible change um, with all? You know of this? what CrossFit is? Go ahead. Yeah, the like the like workout thing. Yeah, no, you know what CrossFit is, Nor that workout thing. I don't think so. I, I might have heard of it. It's kind of like a cult with like uh, middle-aged suburbanites where they like. They let like trainers beat them up and they do a lot of pull ups and they like throw up working out really hard. It's um, like um, mutter, tough mutter, but in a gym. <laughs> so, so uh, when I say I'm Catholic, <laughs> it's like, how did you, what was your spiritual training? It's like, oh, I did CrossFit. You know, <laughs> like I did some training where it was a lot of guilt, a lot of fear of hell, uh, a lot of paradoxes. Uh, a lot of historical confusion, but uh, the system got me to where I am now, and I can't say that it, I have any regrets. You know what I mean? He loves Big Brother. It works. Well, 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 no, it's that I can see past Big Brother to see Horace the Younger. You know what I mean? The crowned sure. and conquering child, um, which is what exactly the cyberspace is going to do. Is that? Which I should say, the sun and Mercury are conjunct in Leo right now, and the sun rules Leo, and that sun card is the conquering child, basically. 
So it all, the math adds up. If only I was on a mescaline button. I haven't read the Bible in a long time. The last, the time, I mean, the Bible I have that I read is the message. Typically it's an NIV slash message parallel. I haven't felt compelled to read it in a long time. The Bible gives me chills. Like when you pick it up and you read some shit and just because I did it as a kid, there's no other fucking text like it for me just because of the history I have with it. Um, it's me me too. That's, that's exactly the same. Um, well, that's most of my DMT trips and shit are Judeo Christian related. So I'm definitely affected by, I haven't like escaped the Bible. I don't even know if I can. These psychics that told me my third hour show were like, Oh, you were in a scene. You were, you were hanging out with Jesus on the Dead Sea or whatever. I'm like, what? Um, I, I had somebody say like that too. Like I was a, I was an early Christian. Uh, that trip. Can't you know, shake it. Can't shake um, it. Yeah, it's it's like the PKD thing as well. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it uh, cover to cover next year. The uh, the King James version, just because the King James is such a such a free Masonic tome. Yeah, it's yeah, not, it's a, it's a, it's such an. In, uh, like influential literary work to begin with, but but it still has the essence of the. It obviously, has the essence of the Bible in it, right? So, you guys want to join in with that? I, I'm going to do that at some point next year. Yeah, I'm down. So it's funny that. that you're saying that because you too and a few other sync heads. I'm like, I know that the sync book people were doing book club stuff, and I'm like, uh, there. I still haven't read all the PKD stuff. I still have all the shit. And in a way, I feel like if I was to tackle it myself and have a podcast where that, like, kind of like what we did even though I haven't finished your books, nor I'm halfway through, goddamn. Um, where it's like, it will motivate me to read it if I'm participating with others. I am a Gemini, Sun, and Moon. So it's like, you know, playing with the ideas of others is more interesting to me than going to the, you know, library and doing it on my own. Uh, I am that lazy guy you hate, uh, Bill. But uh, I, not that we have to do a book club, but it would be fascinating whether it's doing the King James, which is a fucking commitment, good God, um, or PKD or any of these, the wake, um, I would love to try to tackle some of this stuff and have you guys as like, you know, pool buddies or whatever. So I don't drown basically. I'm in a place where I feel like I need to uh, dive into the Quran. Um, because really? that's what was, I was going to say just now. So please go ahead. Why Raphael? <laughs> that's a sink in itself. Why yeah, were you going to say that? I, I... Well, I want to hear Raphael's take. Yeah. Okay. So just briefly, because I had interviewed David Ewing Jr., who does a lot of reset research, and uh, I looked, I started reading it. It's actually not so much, so it may be more manageable than the Bible potentially, at least the actual Quran itself without any commentary and so on. And what's highly interesting there is apparently number one, of course, there is extremely strict prohibition against interest, even more direct than in the Bible, which is I consider quite, let's say, anti centralist let's say at least and also there is a few hints apparently about basically setting up the scene to make people notice that potentially individuals write so-called holy books or bibles for profit and for confusion so it throws up the question of historical falsification and also throws up the question about buried buildings or reset civilizations and i have yet to verify all of those in details but I trust David Ewing Jr. on that, but uh, it's manageable to go through. But if that is correct, it would throw a completely new light on the generalized idea as to why also demonize uh, Islam wholesale and so on. If they truly have a central holy book that basically has ultra anti-authoritarian ideology within it. So that's why I'm particularly interested. And I like the desert. (laughs) 
I, th I think I read um, some article with that perspective on it just recently as well on the uh, on the Quran. But it's interesting. Just even the structure of the Quran is 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 interesting. It starts. I forget if it's from the shortest to the longest or the longest to the shortest. But it's just it's just arbitrarily arranged like that. You know, like for each each book gets um, um, progressively. I think it starts with the long. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but it, it just gets progressively uh, it's almost like smaller, the, uh, smaller, smaller, smaller. The like vision it, scale for eyesight when you're like reading E, EF. That's like it's, like the it's delta up. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. It's like a it, what a weird way to structure a book. So it it it, it just means that it's um, it can be read in whatever order you want. You know, like you can pick it up, you could read it whatever order you want. Um, it's a it's a truly psychedelic book. Um, you said arbitrarily arranged that way. Yeah, I don't know why they arranged it. Like they, it's it's almost like uh, they had all these different books, and then how do you arrange it? And then someone decided um, to just just arrange it by length. You know. Um, well, uh, that would maybe be the most obvious read, but that's what I'm saying about trying to take a look at the Quran from that that Finnegan's Wake lens. You know that there's got to be a shit ton of Islam in the Wake that we just can't see. Because that's what, we just we don't have the source material. Blinders. That's uh, what um, yeah. uh, the you know the psychologist um, Norman O. Brown, right? Like a uh, um, life against death, I think is a big one. But he he in an essay he wrote about that too. It says only this generation of Westerners who are post Finnegan's Wake, who can who found out how to read Finnegan's Wake, can now go on to read the Quran <laughs> and start to understand it. Yeah, know? no, I I believe that. There was, I mean, fuck, you move the empire from Rome to fucking Turkey and you just get the party started there. And the advancements in culture and thinking and creativity just kept going. There was no fucking dark ages for that party. It just moved. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, uh, the Neoplatonic philosophers from, from Greece and other places um, moved directly when, when the Christians finally went mad and had their massive crackdown on pagan philosophy. Those guys all went went to the Islamic side, uh, where it was it was more open. Um, it was an open culture that uh, that revered wisdom in in all its forms. The Bohemian uh, element of Rome went there, while uh, the other uh, non-Bohemian uh, would be split between the church and the mafia. That's uh, Alan Watts, right? The power structure in Rome, uh, when it fell, quote unquote, it just divided into three different power sources. Uh, mafia for vice, the church for salvation. Virtue, quote unquote. And then the Bohemian that made the connection out in Turkey and, and they got the party started. Because you see those fucking mosques, man? Those are fucking like... Like, Those are DMT trips. You, you look at like Lollapalooza, the way they set that up for it to be all psychedelic and magical, and you want to vomit. You look at those fucking mosques. Holy shit. Like, that must have been like... It's like mescaline vision. It seems uh, very mathematical. Oh, I mean... Spectrums of light. Fuck, man. The, sh the shit that would go down with, uh, with all the hash they had and the fucking... Uh, the plant knowledge, they were fucking... That's where the fucking Sufis come from. 
Yeah, the whirling dervishes. You make you, you act like the Milky Way. You're gonna fucking hop up a level or something. Um, I'm not sure, Raphael. Are you tired? And I know it's early morning for Zenora, but it's late night for Raphael. I'm just kind of getting a pulse on where his head is at. Uh, I'm okay. I'm just gonna read uh, one single sentence from Islamic Quran. In this case, chapter Raphael 19. Raphael the Prophet. Maryam, just to referring to this whole thing of of resets. So chapter it, 17. <laughs> yeah, chapter 19 in this case. And line 98, the very last one, it says, How many a generation have we destroyed before them? Can you feel a single one of them or hear of them the slightest whisper? So stuff like that, that makes me incredibly interested in yeah, doing a Quran study group, let's say. And I'm pretty sure as every so often just like with you know legalese or whatever if one has no clue about it but it's thrown around everywhere things seem quite disconnected but if one gets the background of it a lot can start making lots of sense and i guess for example like islam overall and this would be their main book is a quite you know commonly held religion you know and of course i can only assume many of those adhering to it don't even know their own book but here yeah the one thing i forgot to mention is that they have the so-called uh, Hafiz, who actually learned at least this one book of the Quran, the original one, let's say, by heart, because they were afraid that people would come along, colonize them, and just make up new stuff and switch around their history. So I find that quite a fascinating approach at, let's say, cultural protection or historical preservation. Excellent. I'm um, not sure if you're into this, Raphael, but I think I remember hearing that like Orion heavy influences are in the Middle East. Oh yes, of and, course. And Islam means submission, so like I'm not. Yeah, but I'm submission to God, that. just like jihad means holy war. But the question is again: Is it holy war again in a misconstrued fashion against some externalized, demonized entity, or is it the actual inner jihad, which would just be? self-improvement in a sense or you know yeah. whatever a christian would say i'm not sure that's the uh, esoteric view of it for sure the the one thing about that i've heard about always about reading the quran is that uh if you're not reading it in arabic um you're missing the massive amount of it because it's all it, it's all based in wordplay and puns and like visual puns and uh and sound puns and all these interconnections that you would miss um, in, in any sort of translation. Um, so I wonder if there's a way to, to, to read it where you could get, I don't know, like a side-by-side English-Arabic and then transliterated um, version of it so you can get deeply into the text like that, you know? Well, think about uh, the Torah in the language that's used there, right? It's, it's a symbol that is at once letter but also numeral, Correct. Yeah. So to really right. get a sense of, uh, and each letter has a shape that has a story. And you see this interplay between symbol, uh, pictograph, uh, letter in a word, number, addition. And so this is multidimensional, hyperdimensional type critical thinking that goes on with that language. But that is like this black and white one and zero flip, maybe I'm trying to say. Then you go into the Bible which is the New Testament, which is, uh, what, Greek and Roman um, and fucking Aramaic and what the fuck was it? You know, th those languages and shit. But 
that wordplay, that puns, that's not part of the New Testament. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily part of the Torah. Um, these are twists of words, right? These are, there's not a hidden code underneath it. The code is embedded in it. You know what I'm saying? It's like a merger or a, a fusion. Um, there, there, there is no unconscious, like there's an unconscious level to the Torah, which is the numbers, right? Uh, but the unconscious is blended in with the conscious in the Islamic writing. Like if you're saying it needs to be looked at in its original form, that's like why Crowley would uh, include the uh, written pages of the book of the law. So, because that was the official document and it should be studied by the shapes and the, right? Uh, very Islamic lines going through the text and uh, yeah yeah very Islamic in in that sense yeah Uh, and very postmodern I think so I just briefly point out oh go ahead yeah no just very briefly from what I learned from David Ewing Jr I made at least one interview with him and he's published quite a few books on this overall you know reset topics one question at least is whether the Quran because of this these Hafiz learning it by heart may actually be, quote-unquote, the only unmodified book truly coming from the Middle Ages. You know, there's even things there, from what I understand, like, I think something along the lines of Jesus is not exactly God's son, but also that Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. There's a few very interesting things, which I'm pretty sure also most Christians are woefully unaware of, like just basic changes in storyline. And there is also the question, even just on the mainline story level, with the Ottoman Empire and their supposed religious uh, freedoms and so on. And of course, officially even our numbers being Arabic and much of science in a strange way in the quote-unquote Middle Ages being Arabic. So I'm not sure how prevalent that society or even language may actually have been and how much of that, just as many other things, got hidden away to partition up the world in a new manner. Well, it's not necessarily the messages. It's really the media itself, the, 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 the construction of it, the architecture of it. There's a big difference between a phonetic alphabet and a pictographic alphabet. You know, like everything in Japanese and in Chinese is a symbol that stands for something visually. You know, it's embedded in the image of the letter or whatever it is. But what we use is just arbitrary stick models. Like it could be anything that is an A. What is an A? You know what I mean? But yeah, we just look accept at like Phoenician or Babylonian kind but of old Akkadian. Would stuff. Arabic what be the fuck? pictographic or not? Because I don't know enough about Arabic scripts. Would it I be don't know enough either. Um, uh, it's it's phonetic, but it's 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 used pictographically, right? Like that's they don't um, in Islam, of course, they don't use any icons. You can't represent uh, the prophet or any, any anybody else in in visual form, like make an image of it, but you can create images through words through the script and and they consider the written language to be sacred in that sense right um, but it was interesting yeah. you, you talked about the Arabic numbers too right um, which we all use but one thing that was introduced into the West alongside of the Arabic numbers and this is coming from India and then and then the Middle East into the West is the zero right and so um, 
Right. Even in Neoplatonic philosophy, like Plotinus, he talks about the one and everything is the one. Um, but coming from India and then through the Middle East and then back into Europe comes the zero. And the zero is something, it's, it's, a, it's a much uh, more profound view of God or whatever, however you want to express it than the one. Because the zero then um, is not only uh, transcendent like the one is, but it's it's also fully imminent as well. It's everywhere. Um, so, Plotinus, I think, and the Neoplatonists are getting to that point. But it's it's it, it, it's almost inexpressible without the introduction of the zero. Now I'm just thinking of Billy Corgan. I'm your zero. Well, that makes me think of the um, of the bicameral mind, uh, where. Uh, the the perception of just the one as the singularity of reality as that line between the left and the right hemispheres, right? And then the acknowledgement of the zero, the wholeness uh, of the brain is that it's really one functioning unit. Also, that split entity, that duality of the mind is... Um, I think there's a lot of credence to that. I think there's a lot of credence to the fact that people started to live longer and their brains started to mature and take less trauma. And so, um, well, that's, um, that's Crowley's famous formula too: two equals zero, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which means, um, the polarity, which exists through everything, male, female is the obvious expression of it, right? Um, that together, um, balances each other out into the zero and it, it doesn't it doesn't resolve into a oneness um but it resolves into that polarity existing everywhere you know um so 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 this idea of the zero um in india gets called shunya right and and that it's connected into this the viewpoint in buddhism of shunyata of emptiness so it's zeroness basically emptiness is zeroness and the idea behind that is um, the ultimate state, uh, nirvana, becomes identified with um, samsara. There's no, there's no duality between the two in the same way that there's no intrinsic duality between male and female or any other pair of opposites, but they exist everywhere at every point. You know? um, so that's a, it's, um, it just takes the idea of oneness so much farther, you know, um, but still, still, you find that in the in the West, people like uh, mystically inclined people, or uh, I don't know, people people involved in the New Age or whatever, talking about all is one. Um, but still, it, you don't hear a lot of people saying all is zero, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's a it's sort of a leap in uh, understanding. I think we got to that point. The only thing that comes to mind for me with one and zero, of course, is in the tarot, the fool and the magician. And therefore, in a very simple way, the one, even though it is all the one manifested through and as the one, it is also the ineffable, which to me would more be the zero, the nondescript, the void, shunya, as you mentioned. And definitely to have a proper frame of reference, it makes sense to be aware conceptually of both of those levels existing simultaneously as the paradox we know as this, you know, <laughs> crazy world. It's like the Ouroboros is a snake eating itself, which is a zero, but if you were to take it out and just have it normal, it's a one. <laughs> it's like, there's the one and the zero. There it is. It's the, it's the binary, too. It's digital. Um, 
but that's that's a good point too is like the 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 fool card the zero card is it the first card or the last card you know and exactly it's so not even it's, clear it's, <laughs> it's the beginning of the drug trip zero or 22 yeah yeah, and, 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 and if it's twenty-two, it's such a it's such a huge thing, right? Because that's the end of the uh, the Hebrew alphabet, the 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 tau um, um, letter at the end, you know, which which ends Finnegan's Wake too. The T or the the at the end of uh, Finnegan's Wake is the uh, is the ultimate uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You're making uh, me think of Dumb and Dumber. Uh, <laughs> it's like well you could read it both ways <laughs> yeah, man that's, that's perfect <laughs> so um maybe we could start winding down i don't want to take up all y'all's day i mean this is fun i could do it forever um but i'm curious if you guys want to just jump into if there's anything we want to talk about that we haven't first of all the conscious anybody's is there anything pressing on anybody's fragile actual mind Bueller. Yeah, I volunteer uh, Raphael because he was he was the, the quietest. Oh, th thanks so much. I really enjoyed listening to you guys. You know, I'm woefully unaware of quite a few of the details within the specific sync book literature. So I'm glad to listen in. And yeah, also because I truly believe it's manageable. I'm all up for a Quran study group. <laughs> I'd rather do Finnegan's Wake, but we'll figure it out. I was going to suggest we all reach near us, whatever the nearest book is. I'm grabbing Technosis. Open up to the 42nd page and read the third line. And we'll just kind of read that sentence and we can just see what happens. Oh, shit. My bookmark was at 44th page. I guess I was rereading it. It says the body electric is a subtopic. I mean, I'll just say this really quick. Right? So um, 42nd page, third line down. Silver spunk of electricity signified for many of Helmont's ilk spiritual energies pregnant and it keeps going but that's another line so interesting uh <laughs> i don't know why i'm doing this i'm not much of a cast but just pregnant like, is the word i think jim yeah yeah pregnant is the word the emperor's card she is fecund she is uh i actually just recently read the prayer of isis or something it's like i am the end of the beginning i am pregnant and never barren all the things are my it's just like this paradox kind of thing it's like i am the one and the zero i'm the fool and the fool both positions holy shit uh some secret gnosis um is there anything near you guys worth grabbing and reading or nay oh totally so you said page 42 which is kind of a big thing in sync book people's minds makes total uh, sense line number three because the empress card okay well here it only says including this one <laughs> nice. this is from devil anka's shards of a shattered mirror book book two nocturnal including this one that's all i, I still want to read case. that I, I gotta find the pdf but i guess in a sense i'll buy the fucking book because here daryl we're all in hard times you're not doing your fucking tour anymore so here's some Oh, he's doing Petty online cash. stuff, so, you know. Is he? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, sure. Uh, Znor and Bill, I don't know if you guys are both on mute and your cameras are off, so I have no clue if you're even there. Um, yeah, I got some. Uh, the closest book to me, I was, because I know you guys do the, the tarot deck reading, so I've got uh, Crowley's uh, Thoth deck. So this is just the, uh, the instructions for, like, that little instruction book. So I looked that up on the uh, 42nd page. It starts with the hanged man. Um, so this is a, uh, this is card number 12. And then the third line down is, uh, well, second line. And then the third line, he is drowned in the waters of affliction 
the attitude is traditional and involves a right angle and a triangle. His foot is <laughs> goes on. Delta delta yeah. Involved yeah, delta again. <laughs> nice. The hanged man. All right. So uh, on page 42 of the nearest book, which was next to me, which is, of course, Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm reading the first line. Is that allowed? You can be a little devil and break from heaven. Sure. Go, I don't go, go down for the first to the third. Right. So, along the trio of whackful the diddlers was joined by a further. <laughs> Intentions apply. Tomorrow, casual and a decent sort off the had been variety who had just been touching the weekly insult. <laughs> We're going to progress from bullshit media, guys. There's a fourth one here who's not like the others or whatever. And it's good stuff. No, that, Raphael, we got to do Finnegan's Wake. I mean, I've got it. I'm never doing it. If you want to do the Korean, I'm not against it. I was like, just I... about to see my brain already splattered just from hearing these three lines, but all right. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I kind of want to eat acid and listen to it in audiobook form one day. I had what? a script once about uh, the whole Burroughs thing about print never catching up to the present, uh, where these guys kidnapped him and gave him acid, uh, and they took acid, and he would have to read Finnegan's Wake to them. And uh, <laughs> this sounds like a crazy moment. And at some point, the because Finnegan's Wake exists in the future too, at a certain moment, Burroughs starts to read it read language that's written completely in the present moment and madness would just ensue. <laughs> it was pretty good. That sounds like a real humdinger of a moment. I mean, Jesus, who captures somebody like that, a writer and then eats ass and just very complex dynamics going on there. Clearly. What, what is that? Feel? Very uh -huh. nuclear. What is that you're describing? Oh, it was a script I wrote. Or I had oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you, Bill, you wrote a script about that precept. Like precept, it didn't yeah. happen. Oh, I was like, what the fuck? Who, <laughs> this is crazy. Talk about Stockholm syndrome. And try to get uh, before he was he was still alive, Harry Dean Stanton to play Burroughs. I thought that would be perfect. <laughs> That's what's up. I just well, I just realized now. I'm looking at the 42nd page too, like that, that you just read, and that uh, the trio of whackful the diddlers. That's from the that's from that song Fid, uh, Finnegan's Wake. Walk Whiskey in the jar. Dance yeah. The yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, the uh, lots of fun at Finnegan's Wake. That's uh, that that's a, a little little verse from that. It's, that's that's such an amazing thing about the the book too is that it has songs all the way through. Little snatches of songs. Well, he is Irish. Yeah, 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 yeah. and like he he was a singer too. Like he was he. Uh, that was one of his career paths. He could have become a uh, famous tenor singer. Hmm. Hyperdimensional text, yodeler. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he, the gods have spoken, I guess. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I'm glad we could get your heads together. Um, any parting thoughts? We'll have to kind of do this again. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, whatever book you guys, if, if you ever want to do that. Because um, the problem is, like, I've got, like, literally a, a bomb went off. A nuclear bomb went off when I was eating all that acid and paying attention to SyncBook podcasts uh, almost probably 10 years ago more. Um, but I basically, I have all of us. I have all of PKD. I have all this shit and I've never read it. Like, so it's one of these things I've got Finnegan's wake. And I think even uh, Joseph Campbell's interpretation of it and all this kind of weird shit, but it's like, I have, I haven't um, gone back to the uh, ground zero of it. Like it's just, uh, my life has been too crazy. So I'm willing in a weird way. Now that I think about it, I need that zero space 
Um, I don't want to just be, you know, on fucking feeds all day and getting, it seems like these are kind of like, uh, how to bomb shelters, I guess. Counterbalance. Yeah, exactly. It's like time to go into some of these rabbit holes. That, but uh, just, you guys but just be, 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 be forewarned, uh, and maybe it's different in the internet age, uh, but It'll fuck all, me those, up. All, that, <laughs> all those books you're talking about, like those are books that I read multiple times over 20 years, and you know, they still reveal certain truths. And it's, you just start a relationship with these types of things. You, you don't, this idea of binging it to get it so that you can incorporate. Oh no, that I don't program. expect that. I just I need know, to have the experience. At I'm some just level. saying. It just. I don't know if people have the patience anymore. Or it. No, oh, you're right. I'm people like, say when. I just think when did I used to have time to read four hours a day? I used to read fucking four hours a day. I don't fucking read shit. I'm always on fucking li- online. You know what I mean? But I'm glad I had that time before the internet. Where that's all I did was like I was on trains reading, I was in my bedroom reading, eat lunch. I, it's just always in a book, and I'm reading mo- those books over and over again. You know, like reading the book of reading the book of lies like every year for like fifteen years. You know what I mean? Uh, and wrestling with that until you like, wow, I, I'm done with that one. That was a fucking good one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's here's, like uh, here's page one hundred eight of the wake. Now patience, and remember, patience is a great thing, and above all things else, we must avoid anything like being or becoming out of patience. <laughs> How <laughs> wait. See, now uh, you're seeing Raphael, I was like, dude, this Finnegan's Wake thing, I think there's something to it. Sure, uh, I, sure. Yeah. I, I know there is, just the way I, and I haven't how never does, how picked one up. Matterhorn? <laughs> no, the only thing is when I only imagined without having looked into it, I'm perfectly 100,000% sure it's super amazing. But if I just imagine it, I'm just seeing like a hydra of like, you know, hyperdimensional portals or something. I don't even know what, but yeah. Sounds like a fun yeah, book for uh, sure. Cthulhu, the literary version. <laughs> I'll just say you gotta listen to the McKenna lecture on James Joyce and Marshall McLuhan, and listen to that a couple of times. And you gotta get Coincidence by Robert Anton Wilson and read his essays on Joyce, and uh, just read as much about the wake as you do the wake, yeah, maybe yeah. more. And that's like a good traveling. It's like you research the city, you know where the pubs are. That way, when you're blackout drunk, you stumble into them readily or whatever. I don't drink anymore, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, reading, I'm way about that. I, right now I'm reading it again, and uh, I'm also reading four guidebooks alongside of it. And I, I chose four because it's the Mama Lujo. It's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, so in, and it's it's fascinating to, to read these guidebooks. It's, they've all got an entirely different take on what's going on in the text. Like It's completely contradictory. So you... Reading it like that um, helps you to realize that uh, nobody knows what the hell's going on, even the so-called experts, the scholars who have studied this for decades. You know, um, They have their take on it, but other ones will have an entirely different take. And, it's, and it is like uh, the incarnation, you know, like the, when, when, when Christ came to, to earth, there's all these different uh, um, takes on what actually happened, you know. Um, like the, the four gospels and then all the other Gnostic texts and everything else, you know, like, so yeah, what actually happened in this, in this, this moment of singularity, you know, Mama Lujo. I've never heard that. And I was like, this is like a Christian demon. I could summon. It sounds crazy. Sounds like um, the fourfold well, the, vision, but you got well, to read it with yeah, relaxed no, it eyes. But, <laughs> That's but the, right. That's right. The wake uh, is the four what, sons of Horus. 
Yeah. What the wake is, is it, it's a code and it's an analog cyberspace. It is the internet before the internet uh, because it has in, infinite, an infinity of reality tunnels for people to surf on. And no one can really tell you that your search results aren't what you thought they were. Um, but it is an analog of cyberspace. It is an environment. Um, it... <sighs> It's a nuclear I, I, bomb. I mean, it's a nu- it, 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 it truly is. It truly what, is. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to it. So at the beginning, Bill, you said you had a, a nuclear bomb to unleash. And I don't know if you have unleashed oh, it. Oh, shit. Yet. Yeah. Have we ever said anything? And last thing, I will just say really quick. Mama Lujo is like the four pillars, mescaline, LSD, DMT, mushrooms, or whatever he was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, yes, they all have different vibes. They, they're and, the, and, the, and the four of us right now, you know? Like, Definitely. Okay. I, you know, so it just goes back to, to engagement with the actual exercises, you know, like, um, the nuclear bomb for me was to see that name in the credit section of that movie. Um, because of all the implications that it offered me in the moment. Uh, and it's like in contact where she's like, John Glenn winked at me. It's like, and, holy and, shit. and the whole arrangement of what I'm trying to say about these exercises are this movement into, this new environment of cyberspace and to be able to look at reality through the lens of cyberspace as you got to sit down and watch what do things like this um, and actually participate in them. It's like the, it's like the rituals of Aleister Crowley. You know I mean? You have to do the things you have to not just read about Kabbalah. You have to like memorize the, the letters and the numbers and the attributes of the planets and the and you have to file all that shit in your brain. You've got to spend the time to do that. I really don't think people do that shit anymore. They're spiraling off into these conspiracy theories and they're going on rabbit holes on the internet, but they're not, they're not really going inside their mind. And I just think it's, it, it's, you see it in the quality of the voices out there right now. I don't see anybody out there that is exciting uh, or doing anything that I think is progressive with, with what I think uh, people like me and Znora left behind, you know, where we started 10 years ago. Uh, I sure as fuck not. I'm too busy tripping. Or uh, I get what you're saying. Uh, it's too distractible. And then in a sense, that's kind of what, uh, I mean, patriarchs is a strong word, but I think that there's a lot to glean from people like you. That's why I even want to involve myself in your reality tunnel. Well, I'm saying like, like I legitimately over the last 15 years, I not only did I work, you know, service industry career for 12 years, but, uh, full time, but I, I took uh, two years of science and anatomy so I could take two years of, uh, nursing school, got my license to be an RN. Then I started the blog and the podcast. Then I had to take two years of online, uh, college math. Then I did a year of graduate school to get a master's in education. Now I just got tenured at a high school position, uh, position. It's like all that work fuels this shit because Without it, you're just floating All work on these. And no play makes Jack a doll boy. You're just floating on these clouds. So, like when you say, "Should I go to school or not?" and if you say, "The people of Denver," it's like if you can get into a school and and train and get that place cemented in your life. I mean, you're at, that's what you got to do. I hope you do it uh, because it's. Well, it's either it, that or disappear into the jungles of the 
do ayahuasca. Like that's why I'm at a point where it's like society's collapsing, right? You've serious? already been like, there. You've already been there. You've already seen what you need to see. I, I... possibly, yeah. Maybe you, it's, you, my mid heaven and north node are Taurus. It's time to kind of ground the theory. I was telling my fiance that because she's like, "Are you having fun?" It's like, yeah, I like acid more because it's more mental, and I prefer that kind of lucidity. But at the end of the day. It feels I'm starting to sense the Alan Watts vibration of like, I think I get what's going on. I don't need to do push the button every weekend or whatever. Yeah, it's like McKenna had that trip, you know, like around 1990, 91, where he just had to it was like he got kicked out. It was like, dude, you got to fucking get out there and speak. You can't be doing mushrooms. You know what I mean? And he basically stayed away. For most of the rest of his life, you know what I mean? And that's when he hit the circuit and he was talking at raves, he was writing books and he was going all over the country. It's like he was putting in, he had to go to the outer limits, not just stay protected in those inner limits. And we need a revolution in the outer limits right now because it's not happening. It's really disappointing, I think. Maybe it's happening in uh, China or someplace I'm not observing. (laughs) Or well, it's on. not on my fucking TikTok. radar, so I hope it's out there. You know, yeah. it's not. You don't trust radar. it's out there. It doesn't just, you know, it just shifts. It's somewhere, it's just hidden from sight at the moment. Or what is hidden? What is hidden in today's world? What is hidden? Uh, quality, like you're saying. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> quality is hidden. Why are we hiding quality? Are we all of a sudden reading Anne Rand? I mean, what the fuck? What's oh, the reign of quantity, right? So, <laughs> yeah. It's the nuclear. Uh, ash fall of a lot. I mean, it's just a, it's an interesting moment, but I do think that it has to push a crescendo to cause reaction to go back. I mean, that's the whole hyperdimensional pendulum. Um, you know, uh, Visigoths cause Turkey to become what it, or, you know, Istanbul to become a hotbed. It, it's like, it doesn't disappear. It just shifted. That's what I'm saying. It's not gone. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know, but that's how do I put it? Um, we've got to not be entrained to the hypnosis of the times because it is a, it's a shifting of times and the voices that are power brokers or whatever are shouting more and more loudly than ever, which is causing people to kind of have big brother submission moments, which is, I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Whereas like some people are like, yes, I guess I'll take as many number of shots as you asked me to. And, I'll do this, that, and the other. I mean, these are manifestations of this kind of capitulation into a submission to corporatic state things or whatever. And um, there will be wadlin ponds still occurring. I mean, I facetious to say, like in the jungles on ayahuasca, those are commodified and you know whatever now. So don't lose hope. But yeah, it's a weird chapter. I mean, you know, Revenge of the Sith or fucking Empire Strikes Back isn't the lightest material, but it still moves in a direction, right? Well, why would anyone need to go to a jungle to take ayahuasca in this day and age? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I want to just be Is surrounded it? by animals that I never have and like crickets. Oh, I can think of many reasons, actually, but yeah. <laughs> in any there's, event, a guy, uh, five there's a guy grams. up in uh, there's a guy up in Tokyo who's who's creating basically. Uh, his own his own version of ayahuasca, which is just basically some some plant or some substance with DMT and then an MAO inhibitor mixed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people are doing this right in Tokyo, you know, like <laughs> five grams kind of, of sil- jungle. five grams yeah. of psilocybin mushrooms in a dark, quiet Silent environment no is all you need. No music, nothing, just you, maybe some water, yeah. uh, a bucket Old to piss water. in. And, uh, you know, you just, you become 
you just go to the place. It doesn't matter what triggers the journey. You know, you've got Pan Am, you got American Airlines, you know, but you get there and bring something back and then push it out into the world. And it's like people just keep going back, just going back. And they're like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this there. And it's like, what are you not connecting to? Why are you not bringing uh, anything back? You know, uh, I think it's because people are chasing chasing that television of ego. You know, that's we're trained to see reality in this cube in front of us. And if we can't take a picture of us in that cube, then it didn't fucking happen. And I don't know. It, it, there's a real big disturbance. And disturbance in the force. You- Bill is channeling Bill Hicks. <laughs> I mean, don't you feel it? Am I wrong? Uh, no, no, I mean, no. It's ayahuasca like, tourism is over. I'm not. At some level, I've been talking about this for like 10 or 15 years, and I've just been a pussy who's been broke. So I'm like, I don't want to go crazy, and I don't have the funds to do this. I guess I could do it here. I could probably order the parts and supplies myself, but I, in some way, feel like I need to be guided, like initiated. Although I've done enough self-initiation, I think I could probably, like I did DMT on my own and stuff, so it's like I could probably do it, but I want to have someone try to I don't even know if I need this, but uh, I'm seeing hieroglyphics. What does it mean through your lens? Like, I, I want that kind of mentorship a little because I've done solo flights over the fucking Atlantic enough where I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not orienting as well as I probably could, whatever that might mean. Yeah, no, you, you, there is. Um, I mean, like when I was in college and I had that first uh, celestial divine trip and I was talking about God and the universe and everything and people around me are just not really connecting with it. And I, I had to go to the library and fill out a request to get the Timothy Leary book, the psychedelic experience, you know, to read about set and setting. Like I had, it was locked away and I had to request it. And I came back three days later and I got my library book and I had to read, that's where I learned about set and setting and all this thing. I was like, Holy fuck. You know, this is a ceremonial guide to the psychedelic journey, not a chaos uh, magic uh, party drug that I thought it was. And in modern culture, that's how hidden the information was. Then we have the information. We know what to do. Take a heroic dose in a controlled, safe environment. And after eight hours. Take report back, just report back (laughs) and take everything on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I just don't know why we're not seeing the fruit of that. I don't think people are doing it. I think they're microdosing, and I think they're trying to surf on that ego. Well, it's a difference between like a tsunami and like kayaking. I'm like, I'd rather kayak. This seems fun, and if I get caught in an eddy, that's fine. But versus a tsunami, where it's like, I mean, I don't do heroic doses because of fear, straight up. But <laughs> that's why I'm like, ayahuasca, I think could probably break through that just by the nature of it. Where I'm like, all right, I trust you to dose me because you're the shaman who can see how much I need or whatever the fuck. These- whatever you're afraid of on mushrooms, you're going to be afraid of on ayahuasca because the out-of-body experience, when you actually leave your body, which is what we're after in mystical experiences, that's why the flotation take is amazing because the out-of-body experience is in such a controlled, safe environment that it's easy to leap out and then you can just float on bliss. Uh, psychedelics, you need to cross over that barrier and let go. And it, when you have to lose control of what's happening to you, I mean, and your inner child is vulnerable and the pure fool is being thrown down a mountain. I mean, you just got to take it. And 
that's going to happen on ayahuasca. That's going to happen on mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, yeah. Bill, I'm just going to say, like, here's an example of what you're saying that's that's going on these days, I think. Like, just recently, my, my friend um, got some acid, and the guy who sold it to him gave him some free Xanax pills just in case he was freaking out, you know? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what you want. You want to freak out. You don't want to. <laughs> but that's that's the thing, you know? So well, there's like a lot I of agree with you. People, people are like not, not getting the full experience, right? And they're... Uh, they're shielding themselves from the full experience through all kinds of different things, like like different pharmaceuticals, like Xanax, but also like like media, like listening to music or, or movies or or whatever, like trying to ground the trip in some way, alcohol. Um, whereas, yeah, like you're saying, it should be completely ungrounded. Like like McKenna would always say, when he felt the trip coming on, that's when he would be smoking bombers just to bring it on that much far, uh, faster, you know, like just to accelerate the entire thing. Um, but I, yeah, he, he, there, there's not that much. I, I don't know. Who knows? Like maybe that stuff is, is going on. I, I'm sure it is. Well, it's not a secret quarters. anymore. It's not a right. secret anymore. It's, it's, it is acceptable to do heroic doses of mushrooms because it's been proven safe. You've got the whole al- alcohol argument to back up your, all of your arguments on that level. It's going to be legalized soon or decriminalized uh, soon in some states, um, but it's available. But when you do that, the results are undeniable. The results are undeniable. You, you, you don't. Don't do the dose. As you say. can't bullshit your passport with that shit. Yeah, no, Uh-oh. I feel that. I feel that. And I, like I said, I had a 1.5 truck, but he gave me a few, I bought a few of those, and then I've got three 2.5ers. And my thinking was, I was like, 1.5 I did, and next time I'll do 2.5 and just be like, is this, I mean, I am at the place where I'm like, am I comfortable with this? Maybe that is my ego in full control, but then I was like, all right, then the last one will be a five grammar, which I think I've done before the day after tripping on acid, so it had, it wasn't quite probably as potent, and I was just, you know, open-eyed with friends, whatever, but uh uh yeah the abyss calls i guess that zero um and it will be as warm and cuddly as an empress if i really get into it <laughs> that's a trick though the the thing that you're saying before jim is it like is there a way to to get to these spaces outside of psychedelics and, and if, of course there are these these ways to get into it you know and it it's almost like for me it's um bringing in the realizations it's not even realizations it's ways of seeing things on psychedelics and just being able to remember those ways of of seeing things and seeing them then in my my normal state of mind you know um so i do this kind of like uh meditation i guess you'd call it like just going down to the the seaside and then watching waves come in like just you you see a wave from far out and just watch it keep your eyes on it until it breaks into the shore and eventually you feel the entire movement of the ocean you can see like in on in the same way as you get when you're on when you're on psychedelics you know um so i i think things like that you can you can do you know um and so. i will say i i'm of the opinion now i mean i don't know about y'all but i'm not running around uh i don't proselytize psychedelics the same way at this point i'm like if it's on someone's karmic path they're going to do it like my advertising doesn't necessarily matter if that makes sense. Um, what's What will be, will be. Maybe that's kind of fatalistic, but it's like, I think people who are going to need that on their path end up doing it. And how, you know, if I happen to be vocal as a Gemini, 
but I do understand that, you know, not everybody will do these things, which is kind of tragic, but at the same time, not everybody reads Finnegan's Wake. It's, it is what it is, right? Yeah. So, um, and I think that's, that's wise, I think, not to do that. Um, because, yeah, people do have bad trips and you don't want to, like, you don't want to be, don't responsible. be responsible. Yeah. Karma. There's no such thing as a bad trip. It's just you haven't gone through the shadow work. Here you are. Yeah, yeah. But it, if, if people stay in the shadows, and that does happen, you know, um, it's not, yeah, it's not a matter of not being responsible. It's just a matter of like, it, should you have been the one to lead them to this? Maybe, maybe so. Like, but, um, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I agree with you. It's just not my, uh, it's not my calling anymore to try to push that particular thing on people. Well, I appreciate you guys a lot because you're almost like hermits. I mean, you're doing real world activities and stuff, have careers and all that. But at the same time, your, your spare time and private time and your nature of your, you know, how you process reality on a personal level is very inspiring, intriguing, and dare I say, um, (laughs) mentoring or something. So I'm like, cool. I, I, you know, I, I, I could see where you guys have walked and maybe there's a landmine there that I don't need to hit and all this kind of shit. So, uh, it's very fascinating stuff. Always talking to y'all. So thank you so much, Zenora, for waking up, uh, <laughs> to you. Um, but also Bill, it's a pleasure. It's been a hot minute since uh, you were on. So we got to get, uh, more content from y'all milk. You like the golden calf udders that you are, um, and have a lot of fun in the process. So much mahalo from me. I know that, um, I will, you know, just even the, this just reminded me, it's like, oh yeah, Finnegan's Wake, do that shit. Like, that's real. It's got some magic there. Um, any parting thoughts from y'all? I just want to say uh, thanks for inviting me on. I'm glad that you're back uh, doing shows. Uh, I think you have a dedication uh, to the best things. And uh, I love your honesty and your vulnerability. And I just, uh, it's always, a, I always have a good time chatting. So I uh, appreciate it. Mission accomplished. Yeah, I'll second that. It's been a, another great talk with you guys. I'm very happy for it. Thank you so much, and the, guys. And yes, the bomb Jim. drops. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> cool. Sound effects insert here. So thank you, guys, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Cool.